What's up, everything? The Blues have won three of their last four, so does that mean things are finally turning around for this team? No! We'll tell you why tonight. We'll also dive deep into the strange Patrick Bergwin situation and take an extensive look at the Blues' options for coaches, be they mustachioed or clean-shaven. We've got a lot to get to tonight, so let's get started and let's go Blues! back everyone this is the two guys no cup podcast it is thursday december 20th i know dates and stuff mm-hmm. we are recording this episode our last before the christmas break which for us will be maybe a full week maybe not we'll find out we're coming to you tonight from our ancient ruined studios <laughs> in the town of Damer, Turkey, the hometown of the original St. Nicholas, who once got in a fist fight with the heretic Arius <laughs> over the divinity of Christ. How about that for a little factoid? You don't get that on podcasts about hockey where one of the hosts didn't go to seminary, so there you go. <laughs> How are you doing tonight, Ian? Good. I didn't know St. Nicholas. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I knew he was real, but part of me was like, I didn't think he was real. Santa Claus isn't real, or is he? We'll find out tonight. (laughs) Dear Santa, I just want a real NHL team in my city. For seminary nerds, I went to seminary. I think I've discussed that briefly on here before. For seminary nerds, the idea of of St. Nick punching a heretic is like huge holiday comedy. That's just like grade A stuff. So People love it. There's memes all the time and stuff. It's wonderful. Uh, so why don't we dive right in? First of all, I want to give a shout out to our tweet of the week from Low Def Blues. Uh, he shared a post from one of the just one of the Twitter news updates that says science astronomers p- spot most distant known object in our solar system. And Low Def Blues said, "Spoiler, it's the." St. Louis Blues playoff chances, <laughs> which I got a hearty chuckle out of. So congratulations, Low Death Blues. You have become the tweet of the week, which means nothing, mm. but you do get a shout You'll out. Find on the your that. holiday nuts in the mail. <laughs> Uh, During this podcast, we've got a lot ahead for you. We're obviously going to touch on the Patrick Bergwin situation. Uh, We'll talk about Robert Bortuzzo's extension, the four games against Colorado, Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver. Uh, And then we're going to kind of dive deep into a discussion of coaching, uh, particularly with the Hackstall firing in Philadelphia, as well as our own coaching search. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about trade rumors. that surround the Blues right now, and then we may have a special discussion at the end. More on that later. Um, But for the time being, let's jump right into the really just bizarre Patrick Bergwin situation. And before we talk about this, I just want to say that I'm trying my best to report only what I know to be fact. There's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of questions here. We'll talk about some of that. Um, So... 
you know, this is all with respect to Bergwin and with respect to the Sabres and everybody else involved, but we just, we have to discuss it, A, because it's a huge news story, and B, because it relates so directly to the Blues. Um, for anyone that hasn't heard, which is probably none of you listening to this podcast, uh, Patrick Bergwin, the longtime Blues center, had one of the weirdest weeks in NHL history. Uh, it was announced kind of out of the blue on Saturday morning that he had been suspended indefinitely for failing to report, I think mm. was the language they used um word kind of spread that he missed a few game games with quote unquote illness which i guess was actually him kind of saying no nah, i don't feel like it sort of situation um and then uh elliot friedman had the story later on saturday that said Basically, he should never have been traded there in the first place. So uh, he reported it on Sportsnet's Saturday headline segment uh, and said, This has not been an easy marriage. Patrick Bergwin had a no-trade clause full until June 30th, and it moved to a partial no-trade clause on July 1st. The Ryan O'Reilly trade with him in it was made July 1st, and I don't know what happened. I'm not 100% clear. But the fact is, his updated list was not in on time, and that trade was able to happen. So I think it's been difficult for him to adjust in this whole thing. And I think they're trying to find a solution. So uh, basically, we still aren't clear on who dropped the ball, what the exact details are. Um, but basically, either Bergwind or his agent or his agency group uh, basically failed. I know I've said basically four times. Uh, failed to get a no trade list in as the contract flipped over. So through last season, it was a full no trade clause, I guess. And then this season, it updated to be one of those, you know, uh, 10 team lists or whatever. They never got the list in. And so I guess for Armstrong's purposes, he just had no no trade clause mm -hmm. in that window of time. And um, he, you know, obviously... Armstrong, we know the history with that trade, how he signed Bozak. It looked like it was going to fall apart earlier in the day, and then he pulled the trigger at the last minute. How much of that had anything to do with this, you know, how much of it falling apart and coming back together had anything to do with Bergwin specifically? I don't know. Could be uh, when he realized that Bergwin hadn't gotten in the list, that he had the leverage to just let him go or whatever the situation may be. But um, so, yeah, he was basically never trade, never supposed to be tradable, I assume. I mean, you can just guess from the story that the Sabres would have been one of the teams he would have put on that no-trade <laughs> list, given the reaction he's had. He had like something like four points in 23 games with them this season, obviously, and never found his groove. And I realize there are some in our audience that probably have stronger opinions on Patrick Bergwin one way or the other than others do. Um, so all of this is just saying whether you really believe he was a, a great player, a good player, a bad player, he's a better player than that, and it was a strange situation. Uh, so the outcome of all this was yesterday, I think, it was announced that the Bergwins and Sabres had agreed, apparently fairly amicably, uh, to void his contract and place him on unconditional wa waivers, meaning that once he cleared, he would be a free agent, basically. And his contract, which had over $12 million, or just about $12 million, left on it over the next four years, this year plus three more, I think, mm -hmm. um, 
was voided. He agreed to void it in that process. Uh, so, I mean, the one thing I think we can say, and I'll throw it to you since I've been talking a lot, pretty obvious that this was a really serious thing for him, mm-hmm. considering that I don't think even professional athletes are going to leave $12 million on the table very lightly. Uh, what do you think of this whole story as much as we know so far? It was surprising, and then it was not surprising. I think it was surprising at first because it was Patrick Berglund, who's a quieter player, um, was definitely quieter here, was a little bit of a character here, but you know, seemed like a upstanding guy. And not that any of this news Makes says otherwise, yeah. but it does seem kind of odd that he was hated it there. I mean, I think you can say hated because yeah. you voided a $12 million contract. You have to hate something about being there. Well, plus, I mean, the team's doing pretty well this season. Yeah. So it's not like he got traded and the Blues aren't. So it's not like he got traded from this mecca of hockey to this hellscape or mm-hmm. anything. I haven't watched, like, any Sabres games. So I don't... I'm looking at the stat line, like you said, 23 games, four points across those 23 games. Not great, but you're also on a team that's winning. So... I don't know if it's just the team itself or if it's the location. I feel like a lot of people treat Buffalo kind of like Winnipeg where it's it's cold, it's small. There's probably not as much to do there as other cities. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to say St. Louis is a metropolis, but also you, the winter is a whole lot less frigid oh, than it is yeah. there. That's probably slightly bigger. I don't know. You're closer to Chicago, what have you. And he was here for 10 years. So that might have been a, just sort of a shock to the system. Mm-hmm. You get traded there. It's a place you didn't really want to go, and you start off on the wrong foot, and it just goes downhill from there. You never get your footing. You don't like it there. You don't know anyone on that team. They're, that team's not overly old. So, I mean, you're kind of the old guy there now. Mm-hmm. you got a lot of young guys that maybe you just don't connect with at all. You just feel very isolated. So I could see that. It just seems odd because, I, like you said, you rarely see someone just void their contract and say, yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I personally think he's going to head back home. I think he's probably going to go to Sweden, maybe play in the KHL, something like that. He's still a good player. I'm a little surprised. No one grabbed him on waivers. Someone could grab him on waivers, right? Uh, Is I that think, how that worked? No, no, I think this waivers would have meant you carried the whole contract. So oh, I think okay. he was guaranteed to queer. Okay. And then he was released. And now I, I could see someone signing him. He's not a bad player. That's a really, for being an okay player here his last couple of years, this is still bad for him, like the what he's having currently in this season. He had 17 goals last year in what most people thought was a pretty crappy season. Granted, they came in streaks, and granted, he's a center, and he didn't have, I think he had nine assists, and very few of mm. them, if any of them, primary. So there are problems in his game, but he's big, he's got good hands, he's can score goals, you know, in a third or fourth line role. I think that contract, which was Army's fault, and we'll talk about that, was really the problem that made him seem less valuable than he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when we talked to Anthony Chandra, um, our friend out of Buffalo over the summer, they were pretty excited to get Berglund and Saboka, mm-hmm. and I don't think... I don't think either of those have worked out especially well, but with Berglund, you know... I don't know. I, w- I want to talk about this, and I know it's going to not be popular with some people because we put out a poll, and just based on some of the responses, 
I got from there. Mm-hmm. I know it won't be popular, so sorry to those of you with whom this doesn't sit well, and I'm welcoming dissenting opinions. But do you feel at all sort of icky, for lack of a better word, about the Blues role in this? Now, before I even let it, you yeah. respond, I want to be clear that obviously the Blues were within their right. Mm-hmm. I used the word loophole on Twitter and some people push back against that and I think they were probably right because it's really not a loophole Berglund or his team dropped the ball Mm -hmm. and there just wasn't a contract for them to operate under uh so and I and I read a story I think Friedman in his 31 thoughts article this week had a story about another for a current player I guess or or a recently retired player who did the same thing mm. and his organization basically came to him and said hey we don't ha- have any intention of trading you but you need to know that this is the situation you've put yourself in and if the thing and if a thing comes up we can now you know and so I guess I guess they couldn't just like oh the deadline was July 1st at noon, but if we get it into you at 2 o'clock, then we're fine. I guess it's just like for the whole season, mm-hmm. you're down. So from that respect, and knowing that definitely softened my approach a little, but do you feel like Armstrong did the right thing here or maybe took advantage of a situation, even if it was a situation he had the right to take an advantage of? Take advantage of? Yeah, I'd say you probably took advantage of the situation. I mean, them's the rules, and mm-hmm. so he's totally within his right to just trade Berglund wherever. I'm a little surprised. I mean, you said he didn't get the li- didn't get the list in, but I'm a little, and I guess that makes sense. You need to have the list. You can't just randomly name ten teams in a row, different teams, and on the eleventh team be like, "All right, you made your list." After every time I pushed on these ten other teams, you're now being traded to the eleventh one. Mm-hmm. So I get that they. He has to have that list in front of him already. But I'm a little surprised that when you go, hey, I'm trading you to Buffalo, or we're going to trade you to Buffalo, that you don't do like a weird, like, is that okay? Is that one of the teams on your list thing? And he'd be like, oh, crap, we, did we not get you the list? And you'd be like, yeah, Buffalo's not one of them. And you'd be like, well, you had to get me the list before, so technically I'm just going to trade you because yeah. it's allowed. But I'm a little surprised you don't ask, and then maybe it comes up, and then maybe you think twice about it i would still do it but you i don't know i think he was well within his rights armstrong was i don't think it feels too icky i feel a little icky about it just because i feel bad that he played his career here we traded him and it's his own doing that he decided he's deciding not to play anymore Mm. but we kind of had a hand in that or the blues did in a Mm. way and just that we sent him there and now he's like i'm done that's all his own decision, but I do feel like we pushed him in that direction. Yeah. And I think, I guess, you know, at the end of the day, they were well within their right. I'm not denying that at all. And I and I get the argument that, hey, it's just business. This is a business. I think that language is applied when it's convenient, mm-hmm. you know? I don't know if... Vladimir Tarasenko gets traded, people are going to say, well, this is just business, you know, because people like Vladimir Tarasenko. Mm -hmm. And I'm not... Patrick Bergwin had a tough season here. He was on a bad contract. I'm not... I wanted him gone, too, so I'm not trying to crap on anybody that doesn't like him. I'm just saying, for a guy that you drafted out of Sweden's second professional league, not even its top league, in 2006... As a late first-round pick, you drafted this kid when he was 18. Justin Horniker, our friend, made the point. 
you kind of like you're not his parents, obviously, mm-hmm. but you're like kind of responsible for the development. You of watched that him person grow as up, a human being. Yeah, and like again, not your fault. I get it. It's all business. It just felt kind of like, you know, he's this. We may not like to admit it or talk about it, but he's the sixth highest games played in franchise history. That's nuts. It's it's. Just, I don't. I just kind of wish we'd been a little higher standard with how we treated him. I get it. And I can be on an island with this opinion. I'm not offended by anyone that disagrees with me. That's just kind of how I feel about it. Um, which I guess leads us, we can talk about now, there's a little speculation the boys may be interested in a reunion. Oh, what are your thoughts on that? And first of all, I don't know if Bergwin would be at all interested mm-hmm. in a reunion. If we're the only team offering, maybe I don't. Yeah. You know, I don't know if he holds hard feelings towards Armstrong. You would think he might. Yeah, he had would have some reason to. But what do you think about possibly bringing him back on, let's say, a one-year, one million-dollar contract for the rest of the season? I don't think it's terribly unattractive, but I also think this team, in my mind, is in such crap right now, and it just needs to wade through it and keep moving mm. forward, and I want, like, no retreads, yeah. uh, barring Perron. I'm just like, we just gotta keep going, keep trucking, shed all these old fucks. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, uh, I just, yeah, it'd be fine. I always, I felt a little bad when we traded him, just because I have, like, a Berglund shirt, and I was like, oh, I always kind of liked you of the three, of Berglund, Oshie, Piranha. I was like, yeah, Berglund's, like, the soft-spoken, gentle, giant one. Mm-hmm. But, um, no, I don't. I just don't really see where he'd fit on this team. I think you'd just put him on the third line or put him on the fourth line. Like, he fits there, but I just don't know who he's replacing that's happy with that, other than, say, like, a Jordan Nolan or somebody. Yeah, which, fine. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know that there's really space for him. I think Justin also made the point that like if he's got, you know, mental health issues, which is the one thing we haven't talked about that maybe we should, is like if there's a player development role for him or something like basically a, a cushy office title where he can mm-hmm. kind of get back on his feet. I'd love the team to sign him to that. I think it'd be a classy move if that's what he wanted. Um, the only the only way I would take a re- reunion is. I don't know, you know, we only have our best guesses trying to assemble the puzzle pieces of what's become public about what makes this team tick the way it ticks. If Bergwin would be part of the solution in that locker room, if his presence was calming or energizing or something, obviously the team got worse when he left. I'm not saying there's correlation there. There may be none whatsoever. But if his presence would sort of settle down the locker room in any way, then I'd be more interested in it just because I want to stop watching crap hockey. But other than that, you know, I just don't think there's a lot of space for him and you don't want young guys to lose out playing time to him. Mm -hmm. And I certainly don't want them to make any sort of longer-term commitment to him. Oh, God, no. Um, So, yeah. Um, And, yeah, just a moment. I don't don't know anything about, you know, mental health with, with this. I think he had to be pretty profoundly affected by his circumstances to leave $12 million on the table. And as an aside, credit to him, sort of. I mean, it's kind of a stand-up move to say, you know what, I'm not going to drag this out. I'm not going to I'm not going to fight. I don't maybe there'll be legal proceedings in which case I guess I retract this, but like for the time being it looks like he's just like, look, this isn't going to work between us and I'm not going to make you drag my 
you know, emotionless carcass around for three years to just to earn my money. Let's just call it a day. And mm-hmm. and I think credit to him. Whether there's, I've I've seen a lot of people saying, you know, I just I hope he's okay, and we obviously do too. I th- hope and pray that if if there were serious mental health concerns, the team would have tried to deal with those privately before airing some of this stuff publicly. Um, that's my suspicion and hope, but if there's more going on there, I certainly hope for the best for him and hope he gets back on his feet. And like you said, if this is just his way to kind of get back to Sweden and make decent money playing on one of their top teams and kind of chill mm-hmm. at home for now, then good for him. You know, I mean, he made the decision and it's his to make. So uh, I think on on the bright side for the teams involved, I think both the Savers and Blues are thankful to be rid of that contract. So, you know, it's it. No, yeah. there should be no hard feelings from either organization. Certainly, uh, let's move on to some of the Blues news. Uh, not a lot this week. Some of the injured guys, I believe, returned to practice in Edmonton mm-hmm. yesterday, including Petrangelo. I think got back on the ice. Fabry Gunnarsson. So that's good news. The only big piece of news beyond that. Uh, is the Robert Bortuzzo contract extension that got announced on Saturday, a few days after the fight with Zach Sanford in practice. Uh, Zach Sanford was sent down the same day and then later called up later this week, so we can touch on that as well. Uh, We've been talking about a possible extension for Bortuzzo on Twitter. It comes at the price of three years at an annual average value of just under $1.4 million. Uh, How do you feel about that term, that deal? I like it a lot. I think on one of the podcasts earlier, we talked about how he could get up to like 1.5 and we'd be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Years, I guess you'd say three years for a guy that's essentially your, a third pairing guy, maybe even your seventh defenseman seems slightly long, but it's also not a lot of money. He had a really good uh, season last year, actually. I was just looking up his stats. For 72 games, he had 13 points, four goals, nine assists, was a plus 11 on that really awful team last year. I think that's a really good season. And you can just see him play. There's a few hiccups he has has had this week, I've noticed, in terms of defensive coverage and whatnot. But that's also a the team guy, yeah, yeah. and the team you play on and everything. I enjoy the emotion he brings to the game because I don't think he's been devoid of that where the rest of the team has been. Mm-hmm. So that's been invigorating to see. And I think he's one of the few defensemen on this team, whether or not he's any good at it, that actually decides to step up and shoot the puck sometimes yeah or tries to at least navigate himself to the top of the circle and shoot so he's active and he's kind of one of those players that's like yeah you make mistakes but i see that you're trying you're trying your best (laughs) when you're in the offensive zone in the defensive zone so i'm kind of willing to let those slide especially like you said because you're a third pairing guy we're not really asking that much from you Mm -hmm. he's been he's been a lot of fun i know ian cole who we traded one for one uh four over to the penguins has won two cups now and has sort of turned into like a really nice sort of two-way, almost stay-at-home defenseman for the Penguins and now uh, the Colorado Avalanche. But I do still like that trade. I think at the time they were saying Ian Cole really didn't fit the um, locker room, which is interesting to hear now after all of our weird locker room things. (laughs) Maybe it was that same crappy locker room. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. But either way, I've liked Robert Ortuzzo here. I think he brings some grit to the game. Yeah, I agree. Um, I yeah, I mean, you could quibble about the third year, but it 
at under 1.5 with the cap salary cap climbing and climbing and climbing. I don't think there's a lot really there to fight about. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically what an entry level contract and a half. Yeah. So <laughs> that's really hard to you know. <laughs> it's hard to complain much about that. Uh, I don't know about the stuff with um, Sanford. The the send down well, yeah, he punched on the same day seemed very straight weird. to the AHL. Yeah, exactly. The fact that those coincided seemed very odd to me. Um, but I obviously am not an expert on that sort of stuff. I know a lot of people say, "Well, they just kind of live and let live situation," and f- that's fine. That's great. If that's, I mean, that may really be the case. I've never gotten in yeah. a fist fight with a coworker, Man. so I don't know. But um, <laughs> what a weird. We talked about how weird that is already, but I've never been in like a fist fight with like anyone uh-huh. that I can think of. But if, not like a real one. So yeah. So if I got like a maybe, fist fight yeah. with you. I don't think I could just, like, be near you again yeah. because that was, like, the highest my emotional level has ever gone. We couldn't, and I get it. Hockey's different and weird. But, yeah, if we got in a fist fight, you and I, I don't feel yeah. like we'd just be podcast next week. Like, hey, whatever. I mean, yeah. there would be some serious talking. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, I don't understand. Hockey's so weird. Anyway, but, yeah, I mean, the, the sending down on that day did seem like a pointed sort of message mm-hmm. and, Maybe the, but then they called him right back up. So I don't know what's going on there. This team's kind of in a chaotic situation. Um, but, you know, overall, fine with this contract. I think if he's the locker room presence that they say he is, great. Get more of him. Get fewer of the other guys. Uh, <laughs> more we, good, less bad. <laughs> exactly. Why don't we hop into game recaps for the time being? Uh, for those of you who don't follow us on Twitter or maybe didn't catch it, uh, I did kind of an extended reaction to the Avalanche game. Uh, we call them hot takes. Very occasionally we'll drop one on Twitter uh, just for kind of our Twitter followers to find on SoundCloud. Uh, that's just like me kind of waxing poetic about this game because I didn't want to lose the magic of that night because it was such a great game to watch. Um, so I won't dig too deep into it. We can kind of skim across the surface since yeah. you can find all that on there. I'll mostly just kind of create room for you to add anything. I know you didn't see this game live, but I'm no. sure you've seen some of the highlights or something. You know what would be fun? Hmm. I mean, we're not going to be able to do it this year or even maybe next year. If we would do a podcast after a playoff game, because then the energy's up, you know, oh, and you're yeah. like, oh, you got to do a podcast after the playoff game. If, we've never had if one we of those. Ever get that opportunity, I mean, we've talked in the past about trying to just meet up and do them after every game or something, yeah. you know, something shorter, but. We'll figure it out. Hopefully that situation will arise sooner rather than later. <laughs> uh, and also a shout-out to our friend 14th and Clark on Twitter. Uh, I don't know if he cares if we reveal his real name. It's Hesse. <laughs> uh, but he has he actually volunteered to do some uh, gifts for us, to create some gifts for us, and they are beautiful. We shared some of them on Twitter. We will continue to do so. They help spice up our notes a lot, which is Mm -hmm. great, and help us kind of remember the play more vividly. So thank you to him for that. Yes, thank you. We are a weird pirate ship of people creating a podcast. (laughs) Um, We just plunder what we want and leave you wanting. Exactly. Uh, Let's talk about this. So Colton Pareko scored the first goal of the game three and a half minutes in. Ryan O'Reilly 
Riley Alexstein assisting. Uh, the two kind of highlights on this for me were, first of all, Pareko unleashing his, unleashing his clapper is always good to see, always a welcome sight that we don't see often enough. And then, as you can see in the gif, Ian, in the notes, <laughs> O'Reilly just has a, an insane saucer pass across the entirety of the zone here uh, to get it on Pareko's stick, who has maybe a good... 20 feet of space between him and the next defender. Uh, any comments on this goal? It was a beaut. Yeah, I went back and watched all of these. This was... I think they're just getting in his ear now, Pareko, telling him to shoot, because it feels Larry like he's Robinson doing it a lot maybe more. maybe like a huge influence on him, which yeah. would be great. I'm hoping. I mean, that kind of coincides with them moving him. Well, I guess, was he behind the bench before? He wasn't. They just started moving him after they tossed Yo out, so... I had, they need to populate it with people. I had to tell you this story because I, I think it was on Spit and Trick once they were talking about it, or maybe it was Dangle. Uh, they got to talking about Randy Carlisle and how apparently he won a Norris Trophy back oh. in like the early 80s. And uh, apparently he's like a one of those coaches. Coaches who played love to give their players crap about it, you know. And so he'd be skating around in practice, and, and the voice they did for him was kind of like the Hitch voice. Mm-hmm. So they'd be like... Carlisle would be skating around in practice, and he'd say, grab a puck, and he'd say, watch this, crossbar, and he'd ping it off the crossbar, <laughs> and he'd say, how many fucking Norris trophies have you won? <laughs> and something about that made me think of Larry Robinson telling that to Colton Craig. <laughs> uh, but I sure hope so. I sure hope it's exactly like this. Uh, but in any case... Uh, Pareko makes it one nothing. Unsurprisingly, the Blues concede fairly quickly thereafter. Sven Andergretto, uh, Tomper, and Jost on this one. Avs ice the puck, but there was a messy exit from our zone, and Andrew Ghetto just has the speed to get past everyone and makes a nice uh, backhand fronthand shot that passes through <laughs> Jake Allen. Um, not a great look for Allen, but as is always the debate, if it's on a breakaway, how much fault is it really? Uh, it's some. But, <laughs> uh, after that, Matt Calvert scored about four minutes later, five minutes later, uh, after Schmaltz failed to clear the zone. Uh, Calvert got the puck behind the net and wrapped it around and backhanded it five hole. Uh, there was a brief talk of Allen's stick being caught, excuse me, in Calvert's equipment, uh, but there was no challenge, and uh, as I think... Korak or Rutherford or Strickland or somebody pointed out it's still one Allen has to have regardless of the stick. Um, there was a slew foot, what I would call a slew foot, of Bozak into the boards by Ian Cole, who, by the way, according to as correspondent, Jordan has turned into like a physical monster this year, which I don't know. <laughs> it's the beard. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, but nothing was called. Bozak was shaken up, but he returned. And then there was a double minor, minor on who else but David Perron for high sticking. But the Blues got the kill, which led to one of the more beautiful and utterly bizarre goals of their season. Uh, uh, Ivan Barbashev got the tally, but all the work here was done by Jay Bomeister, as you'd expect. Mm-hmm. Started with an incredible poke check off Gabriel Landeskog's stick in our own defensive zone. It got went straight to Schwartz. Bowie proceeded to glide down the ice like it was 2013, and he'd just been traded here. What was it, 2011 that he was traded here? 13, right? Anyway, uh, 12. 12, you're right. The anyway, middle one. <laughs> he got down the ice super fast. Schwartz hit him with just 
an absurd two-zone chip pass that was right on his stick. That's amazing looking. I'm watching this gif in our notes, yeah. and it's amazing. <laughs> and then Bowie kind of skates past uh, Zaitsev, or Zadarov, sorry, wrong, wrong crappy Z defenseman. <laughs> wrong physical Z defenseman. Uh, and Eric Johnson, and he got the puck in alone as Barbashev moved behind. And he kind of pulled up at the goal line, did a 180 pass, 180, and passed across Grubauer to Barbashev, who had a wide open net. It was just one of those things where you're like, "Oh, now I remember why you were a second overall pick all those moons ago," <laughs> because you're insane. <laughs> like you can tell with Barbash or with Bomeister, as much as you know, the body may not be letting him down at points. Although I think on the whole, he's looked a lot better recently. Um, Man, the the way he thinks the game and like sees what's happening is still really sharp. I think he could be a good coach, although he may not have the vocal personality. For very it. quiet. <laughs> Watch this crossbar. <laughs> How many fucking Norris trophies have you won? <laughs> uh, what amazes me too on this play is Schwartz makes an amazing yeah pass. And it's to Bowmeister, and Bowmeister's almost in alone. Bowmeister's oh, yeah. trying to split the D to make it into the zone for a breakaway. Bowmeister was insane on this entire play. The check, the stick check that you can't even really see in the GIF, and then the skate through the neutral zone, collecting the puck not off sides, mm-hmm. staying on side while the puck hits the ice, and then getting past Zadorov and making the 180 pass. I mean, that's just insane. He, he almost tries to go backhand. Yeah, he does the stutter know, step where he's like, it. uh, and then no. <laughs> he's like, wait a second, I'm Jay Bowmeister. <laughs> Time for a pass. I can't take all the credit. So, great goal. Uh, second period was uneventful. The Blues didn't look too bad. They killed off a penalty. It was a weak slashing call on Maroon on McKinnon that they also killed off. Third period, Robert Thomas looked pretty good. Um... Eventually, after some just uh, just some back and forth play overall, Pareko scored yet again another just duster from the point. Uh, Bozak was dusting off the puck for a long time, and I was thinking, boy, is he dusting off the puck for a long time? And then he passed to Dunn, who drew, drew a defender and passed to Pareko for the big shot. Uh, he ch- scores again with that massive shot. God, just do it. Do it more. Do it more. <laughs> write that on a stick. Uh, it did redirect off Cole, but it was still, you know, an incredible shot. Naturally, the Blues couldn't hold on to that lead as John for Tom for Comfer scores his eighth goal of the season. I had to look that up. So that hit me like a ton of bricks. What, John for Tom for Every time you said John for Tom for Comfer, <laughs> I was like, oh, he's just rhyming things with Comfer. And I was like, oh, because it's JT Comfer. <laughs> yeah. And then I was, thought for a second, I was like, is that what JT stands no, for? No, it was a tweet we saw last year. I think we I made a tweet of the week at the time, but it was somebody like Comfer got like a hat trick or something, and somebody tweeted, Who would have thought that Jomfer Tomfer Comfer would get a hat trick on the stars or whatever? It was so weird that when I looked it up before the page popped up, I was like, It's gonna be that. <laughs> like, someone named their kid that for sure. What is it like, just Justin Tyler? I think it's like or Joseph Thomas yeah, or something. Like, super boo. lame. <laughs> but anyway, his eighth goal, Nathan McKinnon and Miko Ranton, and when they scored this goal, I'm sure they have more since. Had a combined 68 assists on the season. 40 assists for Miko Rantan. <laughs> Holy crap. He had, he's the first non-Penguin to have 56 points in like 30 games since like, I don't know, 
2000 or something. Oh, he's bonkers. Yeah, it's absolutely. And we were all thinking he was a bust. Uh, McKinnon just got way too much space on this one, honestly. And um, as you can kind of see, that lower gif is actually of this goal. But uh, he got a shot, and there was a rebound that Allen maybe should have contained. But anyway, Confer got it. And we go to overtime, which I'm thinking, okay, great, McKinnon. And Rantanen in three-on-three overtime, this mm. thing's done and dusted. But actually, the Blues did win this game. Uh, that was only after the strangest call, which we kind of do- dove into on the hot take. Pareko dropped his stick at one point. It was ugly. Tarasenko eventually gave Pareko his stick. As Jordan said, shame on the Avs for not scoring mm-hmm. because they should have when it was three on two with McKinnon and Rantanen. Uh, but Tarasenko at some point goes over to Pareko and or goes over to his old stick and picks it up and they blow a whistle shortly thereafter. Uh, they call it an equipment violation or illegal equipment or something and give them a penalty on the ensuing. Uh, Face-off, basically, there's a little play around the zone, uh, and Barry took a a huge drive right into Bortuzzo's leg, and the puck skittered behind him. O'Reilly raced off and was off on his own. He had a backhand to fronthand past Grubauer and scored for the game winner. Uh, The place went friggin' ballistic. Mm -hmm. Darren Pang literally, like, wooed on the broadcast. (laughs) John Kelly said, good night, goodbye, or goodbye, good night, what a game. And Chris Kerber, with an all-time legendary call, (laughs) said, take that and stick it with your illegal equipment. The St. Louis Blues win it in overtime. Bring out the Zambonis. Uh, let's. It was a beautiful win overall. Let's mm-hmm. dwell for a minute on that. Uh, in a, on that stick penalty because, as it turns out, the NHL actually admitted wrong on this one, which is extremely good for you, rare. NHL. Uh, so the call was made because there is a, a very specific rule that basically says a stick that is longer than a certain measurement can't be used by players under a certain height. So basically Colton Pareko at six foot six is one of like eleven players in the league who have this kind of special class of stick mm-hmm. that would be illegal for any other player. So when Tarasenko picked that up, the the referee and in a weird like backhanded sort of way, ref credit to that referee for knowing this obscure of a rule <laughs> and knowing that Pareko was one of the exempt players. Uh, but p- maybe it was that same referee that Pareko got in the shouting match with behind the net and he's like, I'm gonna get <laughs> You, you son of a bitch. But anyway. <laughs> no one upstages me on the ice. <laughs> really? Uh, but anyway, um, so they blew the whistle. Uh, but as Lou Korak, uh, well, Lou Korak said everything I just said, so um, I won't basically, uh, I won't repeat it. But basically the next day, John Kelly says, Doug Armstrong says NHL has admitted they made incorrect call on using illegal equipment last night in OT. Uh, and basically the gist of it was that uh, the call was correct in mm-hmm. a way, um, but theoretically Colorado should have to challenge that to make the call at all. Hmm. And more importantly than that, I think the league was just kind of icky about the idea of them calling it right there in like an overtime situation. So basically the NHL said that call shouldn't have been made. So credit to them. Um, Blues were heavily outshot here, 42 to 28, heavily out face off. Um, hits were even, blocks were even. 
Uh, we, I gave a lot of thoughts in the on the hot take. You have any extra thoughts on this? I did not think they were going to win this game at all. Oh no! I was surprised when I checked my phone and it was even a tie. I was like, "Holy cow! Maybe we have Colorado's number." And by that, I mean we're just as good as another team. <laughs> um, I was surprised even watching that OT goal. I'm surprised it even happened. I'm watching it right now, and I still don't know how Ryan O'Reilly breaks away from whoever that is. Four? Who's number four on the Avalanche? Barry. Tyson Barry. Okay. How's he... I mean, I guess Barry might have been out there for a while, or he gets caught flat-footed. But, man, I'm surprised that O'Reilly, who doesn't look like he's moving that fast, is able to, like, keep his distance away from Barry. Yeah, I mean, you can sort of see Barry's hustling down. I just don't think he takes a very good angle necessarily on it. Mm-hmm. And I think O'Reilly has that kind of deceptive speed that you've talked about, kind of that Yakupov speed, where yeah. it's like he's not really a smooth skater, but he just kind of runs fast on the ice, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it sort of works for him here. And three-on-three three is such a crapshoot that I don't want to read too, too much into them pulling out this win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I... I We'll talk. We'll talk about the obviously the catastrophe that happened on Sunday, but I said on that hot take. I basically just said, if you're ever going to have that statement turnaround win mm-hmm. that really one eighties your season and gives you a shot at the playoffs, it has to be tonight. It's never going to be a better one. Mm-hmm. You're screwed by the league, and you immediately take that and get an overtime win against a red hot division opponent. You have to carry that momentum, and then they go to Calgary, and what happened? Do you want to talk about this one, or do you want me to? Oh, the tire fire was here <laughs> in St. Louis. Oh, God, folks. Oh, God. Um, you know, I really wasn't feeling this one, because the Sunday before, we played a matinee game against Vancouver. Mm-hmm. It ended up in 6-1. It was awful. It was terrible. I was thinking, you know what? I feel like it's going to happen again, but maybe it'll be a little different. Maybe it'll just be a regular loss. It was not. And it was a little different. It was 7-2. Yeah. to two. Yeah. We each added a goal, and it we all felt great. It can get weirder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, God. In the first period, Jake Allen made an outstanding glove save on Kachuk, and the crowd is going ape. The game is going to be straight fire, and then the Flames score a power play goal. <laughs> Five minutes in, six minutes into the first period, Matthew Kachuk, his 15th of the season, assisted by Giordano and Lindholm. Giordano fires a puck from the blue line. Kachuk tips the puck in front but hits Allen's blocker, and the rebound bounces out to Allen's right, and Kachuk buries it past him. The big issue here is that Kachuk is left completely uncovered in front of Allen. Sure, the Blues are outnumbered because they are on the PK, but someone needs to be trying to clear Kachuk from screening Allen and recovering rebounds. In this picture I have in the notes, there's, it's, it's a PK. Like, they're not going to be able to cover everybody. But there is a man literally sitting in front of Allen. And who would that person be? That'd be Matthew Kachuk. Oh, he's not good at Oh, he's not very good. Though, right? No. I mean, he's well, just a Kachuk. But at least uh, Johnny Gaudreau's number 13, right? Yeah. At least he's also totally uncovered on the point. Mm-hmm. That's good news. <laughs> I was like, I think it's Bo Meester's covering the middle guy, the middle of their little uh, formation there. And then right when uh, Giordano's firing it, that's when Bortuzzo turns around and sees that he's like a good complete stick length away from Kachuk in front of Allen. Oh, he whips around and he sure tries to swat at the puck, but no dice. It but, is, sorry, God. No, I was like, it is one nothing Calgary. Just as an aside, Mark Giordano, a sneaky contender for uh, Randy Carlisle's Norris Trophy this year. He has like 36 points mm-hmm. and is like a plus 20 on this team that's actually a contender. There, Norris is going to be a weird... 
Just different names Carlson this year. Carlson and Burns and Hedman are all out. Yeah, it's going to be... O-U-T, and Subban's been hurt, right? Yeah. So it's going to be an out. interesting group, and I yeah. like that. Give me some new names, please. You're looking at Giordano, maybe somebody like Bufflin or somebody from Winnipeg, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's going to be a different group for sure. It's like, that'd be a lot of fun. What's not fun <laughs> well done. is Elias Lindholm scoring a shorthanded goal on the Blues. <sighs> oh, man. O'Reilly wins a faceoff in the flame zone and pushes the puck to Schwartz on his left, and Schwartz then pumps the puck back to Preco at the blue line. Lindholm gets the puck away from Pareko and is off to the races. It's a breakaway! <laughs> Not a good look for our defense, so maybe Alan can and it's in the net. <laughs> I, that's exactly how I felt as he was skating down. I was like, I want to believe, Alan. I want to believe you'll save this. This is not your fault, but I want you to believe that you'll back us out of this. It is in. He put it behind you. Okay, 2 nothing. This goal is very interesting because Schwartz... Gets it to Preko, but it's a really slow pass to Preko. And then Preko swats at the puck about three or four times, never connecting on it once. And Lindholm is just able to strip it, like, I think between Preko's legs and then get it away. Uh, Lindholm also having a great season. Part of that Carolina trade, uh, really working out for him. I don't know how he did down in Carolina. I can't say I paid too much of attention to him down there, but he's doing really oh, good in not Calgary. not good. He yeah. was like, because he's like a sixth overall pick or something. Yeah that definitely never flourished. And I was kind of bullish on him coming into this season and playing with Goudreau and everybody. And I was right. Not, a, not to pat myself on the back too much, but it worked out. <laughs> I could make that trade. This whole period, the Blues are letting the Flames skate right on their zone, uncontested all throughout. And there's a too many men call on this game. Too many men. So many men. Not enough men? No, too many men. Three, four, five, too many men. This is a call that gets called once a game on the Blues, it seems like, in the last month. It's ridiculous. I believe it's done jumping on the ice the way we'll before. Today, yeah. by the way. It's done jumping on the ice way before some other defenseman gets off. Like a good solid like four seconds before the guy's even near the bench. And it's like, I don't know if it's been bench management. I don't know if it's just... Improper communication, it happens all the time. And then I think their new guy, it used to be Fabry used to serve bench miners. I think just because they want a quick guy that could possibly pass to him and break away. Now it seems to be David Perron. Don't know why, but that's your guy that's serving. Yeah, just sorry, guy. Flames get a power does play he get, goal. Here's the question Does he get the PIMS for that too? He does, doesn't he? I guess. I'm pretty sure he does. Yeah, I mean, they got to assign let's, it to somebody. Let's see if David Perron has 500 penalty minutes <laughs> this year, because that'll clarify things. Mm-hmm. Blues get a power play goal, or Blues Flames get a power play goal by Mark Giordano. One time slapper from the blue line for Giordano. No one moving Kachuk out in front of the net again. Not that it matters in this scenario, because Bo Meester is screening Allen. Great. Uh, the, after this goal, Panger pretty much exasperated. It's like they just can't find their way here. There's no jump. There's no grit. There's no excitement. This is unbelievable. This is when I texted you and my dad had to like calm me down because I was like, unbelievable. This is extremely believable. I completely mm-hmm. believe this team is shitting their pants at home. I uh, a thousand percent believe this. And he was like, yeah, but I mean, it's unbelievable in the sense that it just looks so bad. I'm like, no, but I believe this. They're so bad this mm-hmm. year. I believe this completely. But I get it. You're Darren Pang. You can't go crazy on this team yet. But maybe you would think you go crazy after the Flames score their fourth goal in the first period by Allen. I keep wanting to say Quinn, but I think they said Quine. Quine. Like yes. swine, but with a Q. 
uh, assisted by Hannafin and, and Jankowski. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with all the other ones. <laughs> Hannafin shoots the puck from the top of the left circle, Allen makes a save with his left arm, and Quine gets inside position on Bortuzzo and is able to swat the rebound home. Uh, another game, this is the game I was thinking of. Bortuzzo had a rough one. He was just out there for a lot of goals. I can't quite blame him. He's your third pairing guy, but it also didn't look too great for him. I agree. Do we even need to really dive into the rest of this one? No, I was just about to say, Allen out, Bennington in. You get a goal by Oscar Sundquist, a which, nice 2 on one when I advocated for him starting his first game up, which was against the, I forget, but somebody not all that, the Panthers. Mm, yes. I advocated for that partially because I knew this was coming. I knew he would get thrust into one of these crap fests, and that would be his second thing in the entire his that would be his NHL career appearance in the entire NHL. And I think his other one was in relief too. Yeah, it was. One goal and four shots, I think. Terrible. That's point seven five. <laughs> You're a bust. Yeah, Blues get a goal by Oscar Sunquest, two on one. Nice little off the pad pass. Flames get a goal, Johnny Gaudreau. Uh, Ryan there pretty much wins a four check through two blues defensemen. He Dumps the puck in, wins the the puck back with an amazing forecheck, and just gets to Goudreau, who puts it like over Bennington's left shoulder in like the tiniest puck size hole, but it works because he's Johnny Goudreau. And then the Blues get a Tyler Bozak goal, a little rebound off of Riddick, 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 mm-hmm. and in, and then you get another Johnny Goudreau goal in the third period, but an empty netter. And then, of course, we still somehow take a penalty. And then I think it was Nolan got like a, I think he got a ejected from the game. I don't know what it was, but basically he got some big old scrum along the boards with one of their guys, Anderson, I believe it was. And so the Flames score a power play goal, again from Alan Quine, making it 7-2 to final. A terrible game. Let's do the old hockey's future Alan Quine Google search. Yeah. Well, tell out. me what kind of human Alan you Quine want, you is. You want to pick an OHL or a CHL team out of at random, and I'll tell you what that's the well, one he played for. Tell me what league is he in? What will, league was I he in? I will get you there. Okay. Um, Alan Quine is a 25-year-old who was selected in the sixth round, it looks like, uh, of the something draft. <laughs> He was drafted in 2009, second overall in the OHL draft. Second overall? Yes. So who's a Pri- bad... In the OHL priority selection. Oh, whatever. I don't know if that means Who's anything. a bad OHL team back in 2009? <laughs> um, I'm going to say the... For some reason, I have a weird feeling you're going to get this, and I don't know why. Uh. The Oshawa Generals. Oh, so close. It's the Kingston Frontenacs. <laughs> <laughs> the Oshawa Generals are a team, right? Yes. Okay, I'm, I win because I named an OHL team. I named an OHL yeah, team. Hooray. Yes, the Blues, bad. The Flames, good. It, it was deja vu. It was just the last Saturday all over again. Mm. It completely... I don't want games like this to override. Last Sunday. Yeah, sorry, yeah. It completely overrides. I just know somebody out there, you know. What did I say? Saturday. Whatever. Saturday. All over our nuts. Yeah, get off my ass. I work fucking 24 hours a day (laughs) to put money on the table. (laughs) 
Uh, I'm one beer in. I do this podcast with my three hours of free time in the entire week. (laughs) Yeah, this is all I got. (laughs) Let me say Saturday. (laughs) Where was I? Something happened. Yeah, I don't want this game to override my feelings of like a positive game beforehand, but man, it sure does. It sure does it for me. I'm like, hey, that Avs game wasn't the prettiest, but they they eked out that win. They really really gritted it out, and then they just fucking lay an egg, and it's disgusting. And then, as I understand it, the Oilers game wasn't much prettier. We'll touch on it. It'll be kind of short because we didn't get to see it because we were watching a movie together. Well, you were you were at the office. I was I was on the phone describing the. Yeah, I was at the office. (laughs) Fucking that dude from the Christmas story was telling me I gotta work, not crash it. The other one. The other oh, one. Oh, you mean the one from A Christmas Carol? Yeah. You mean? <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge? Yeah. The Christmas Story. I was like, the dude with the leg lamp? <laughs> Christmas Story is enough of like a generic term uh-huh. to, to name a Christmas movie, but then there is the Christmas movie called A Christmas Story. Yes. It's very popular. I didn't see it when I was a kid, so I've I don't... i never watched it all the way through. I'm the same way. I saw it like once, and I'm like, I don't get it. Pretty much. But I never watched it as a kid, which I think is probably... Way ninety percent of the problem because I freaking loved Home Alone as a kid. By the way, you see that Home Alone Google Plus ad? Or that, yeah, that was a masterpiece. Good. What a good one. Let's talk about Edmonton. <laughs> Guess how this game started? A too many men on the ice penalty. Hooray! Men. Uh, didn't come out to bite the Blues, and in fact, I think shortly after it, David Perron scored his eleventh of the season. Uh, I had heard Cam Talbot didn't look good this season, but my God. Oh. I've got him on my fantasy team. Perron skated down the wall after accepting a pass from Bowie in the D zone. He was kind of untouched. I mean, he skated through traffic, but not really. Sort of the way that St. Louisans complain about traffic and someone from Los Angeles is just like... Get bent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then he took kind of a nice wrist shot off the far bar, but Talbot's positioning was dreadful, dreadful. <laughs> it was real bad. Uh, that didn't stop the Oilers from responding in the second period with Jesse Puyayarvi's goal scored by Jujar, Kyra, and just to make sure that there was one really white-sounding dude, Caleb Jones. Good for you. You (laughs) went right through that whole scoring line. Thank you. I'm very proud of myself. (laughs) Um... I was going to say, before we talk about how he tried to murder one of our players here in a minute, Jujar Kyra, for, for just a, like a random bottom six piece, is actually a player I'd kind of like on this team. But in any case, uh, not a great look for Schwartzy here as Kyra sort of skated around him twice. Uh, he passed off to Pool Party, who shot it quickly. It was a nice shot, but Allen has got to have it. Gloves side and waist high. Just, you can't let those through, Jake. Um, obviously, he had a good game overall, so. I'm not trying to bury him, but he's just, you know. Smart enough. (laughs) Smart Smart enough. enough. (laughs) Uh, I think there was an Oilers review in the second period that added to the drama of the Blues review in the third period, but I don't know the details, so sorry. Uh, But yes, in the third period, very early on, uh, Patrick Maroon ultimately was credited with a goal assisted by Robert Thomas and Tyler Bozak. It was really uh, Thomas who did the work here. There was a great poke check in our own zone, I think by Bo Meester again, mm-hmm. uh, that got the puck out of the zone. Thomas skated in and just friggin' obliterated Jason Garrison with a dirt, nasty, through-the-leg <laughs> deke. It was so friggin' beautiful. For those of you who don't see 
it in this kid, go watch that highlight again. Each oh, mm. uh, shiver me timbers. It was good, and, the, and the, he sort of passed or shot in front low, and there was total chaos on Mar- as Maroon and Bozak jammed away at the puck, uh, and Talbot pads the whistle blows they didn't call it a goal there was an extensive review and finally they called it a good goal no way no way i wasn't watching the game but i did actually happen to catch this part back on the replay no 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 there is no world in which this should have been called a goal i watched every angle i didn't even see the puck on any but one of them mm-hmm. and the one i saw it in it was clearly nestled in the blue paint maybe people who watched this live got a better perspective than i did but to me that was a bullshit call by the (laughs) NHL. Obviously worked out in our favor. I'm not complaining, but that's a problem. And to me, I always, I've said this before, if a review takes 90 seconds or longer, it's just not overturned. Mm -hmm. You say indisputable evidence. There should be indisputable evidence in 90 seconds or less. I agree. So on top of that problem... They review it, they overturn it, then I believe Hitchcock challenges it for goalie interference, they review that for another three or four minutes, don't overturn the overturned call, so it's still a good goal. The Blues are up by two, I think that kind of sealed the momentum on this one. Uh, A few minutes later, Jujar Kara, the aforementioned, got a five-minute major and a game misconduct for cross-checking on Dunn. Uh, Dunn had kind of hit him in the corner, it was a clean hit, uh, but or no, excuse me, Kara hit Dunn in the corner on a clean hit that Dunn took some exception to. Uh, and so he he cross-checked Kara right in the crease and got a penalty for it, a minor. Uh, but then Kara friggin' tried to take his head off in retaliation. It's a miracle Dunn's alive because he just crumpled to the ice. And it was one of those things where you watch hockey and you're like, oh, these people are savages, aren't they? There's a reason they don't play soccer. Um, so just strange. And I realize it was really heat of the moment. I believe he ultimately got a two-game suspension. Uh, Dunn was was fined. Yeah, the, the maximum The maximum, amount. which was like $2,000 or something <laughs> for his cross-check, too, which I think is fair. Yeah. His cross-check was dirty as hell. No, <laughs> I think they called that like in the most correct way possible, yeah. even though it looks weird. It's like, wait, you both got penalties? But yeah, I mean, they both deserved the it. The Cairo one was obviously worse, yeah. but it was... You know, Duns was still bad. So they called it a five-minute major. The Blues already had the lead. This one was pretty much an open-and-shut case. Uh, friggin' Vladimir Tarasenko, though, he's there, boys. There he is. <laughs> he scored his first goal, I think, in eight games. Dunn made another six zone exit deke around an Oilers forward. I checked who it was. Check your ankles, Kyle Brodziak, because <laughs> it was you, old buddy. Uh, sorry about it, Kyle, but Dunn just friggin' obliterated him. You know he chirped him so hard after that. I don't know if... 16-year-old Vince Dunn chirps 83-year-old Kyle Brodziak. <laughs> but if he does, that happened. Um, Dunn passed to Schwartz, who handed right off to Shin, who passed across to Tarasenko, who was somehow totally unnoticed on the right side. Um, he settled the puck beautifully and friggin' sniped it home. Thank God that he just took a shot. It went in 3-1. to one. First goal in eight games. Man, you can see the relief on his face. He almost didn't celebrate because you like, it was almost, was it 
was it uh, Payarvi who once took literally took the monkey, monkey off his yeah. back and threw it? It was almost that kind of a goal, so maybe that'll lead to more tonight. Um, but anyway, the Blues seal it with an empty netter. Schwartz, nice shot from center ice. Blues outshoot the Oilers 30-23, to win the faceoff battle, have one goal and three penalties against the Oilers' five goals. Uh, but the Oilers had more penalty minutes, obviously, because of the Kara situation. Uh, we were heavily out hit. 34 to 21. Obviously, it's a Ken Hitchcock team. Uh, we had more blocks and they had more giveaways. Uh, we, you have anything more to say about this game? I again was surprised we won. I'm going to be surprised <laughs> every time we win. Uh, the Oilers aren't a fantastic team this year. <laughs> Next. I don't think. They were red hot, though, yeah. coming into this one. And I They've been a little, well, they were red hot a few games before this. Well, I think the Blues holding them to 23 shots all game is pretty significant. For mm-hmm. a team that's played just terrible defense all season, I think that's a great step in the right direction. It might not have been pretty. Our offense might not have looked amazing at times, but I think I think if this team ever wants to improve, it starts with defense oh, first. For sure. So I think that's nice to see. Um, yeah, so uh, as we're recording this, it's a little bit before the Vancouver game. We plan to stop and watch that and come back and insert some thoughts there. Uh, so why don't we take a moment now to throw it to our future selves, and we'll talk back with you after they chat with you. Well, <laughs> we threw to ourselves in the future, and the future was a dystopian... <laughs> Nightmarish, Days of Future Past, 1984, Aldous Huxley. Just, oh, I, oh, I'm so angry, folks. <laughs> the rest of this podcast is fun. We had a lot of fun back in the past, back when we were innocent. There are going to be so many swear words here. <laughs> I'm so at a loss. I, like, how, how do I keep being frustrated by this team? Let's start there. How do I keep being upset? Because we know what it is now. We know what it is. I think maybe you're like me, and I always think, well, they're losing a bunch, but eventually they'll, they'll just kind of even out to, like, a 500 team. They'll just kind of be... And they kind of are right now, and maybe that's what's more frustrating. It's like, an okay game, back to shit. Yeah. An okay game, because honestly, they're not good games. We, back to shit. We crap on Batman 500 a lot, the idea that your overtime losses don't count. Mm-hmm. But I was looking at us the other day, and I saw we were 12, 15, and 4, and I was like, oh crap, we're almost at Batman 500. Mm-hmm. Not even with, like, not a word of a lie, not a hint of irony. Oh! <laughs> I'm so angry. We. This is why we don't record right after. We were had an amazing first period. John Kelly said, "I know the Blues didn't score, but that has to be one of the best periods they've played all season." Which is pretty pathetic, if I'm being honest. It was fifteen to five. We outshot the Canucks on home ice. Jacob Markstrom was the entire difference in the game, and Tyler Bozak looked great. One of those three things would remain true. <laughs> in the second period, we had come in an intermission. 
and recorded a little bit of the end of the podcast. You'll even hear a joke later about time to go back and find out it's three to nothing. We were wrong, but only by one goal because it was two to nothing. Why is this team the way that it is? <laughs> the Canucks score on a Bo Horvat goal, his 11th of the season, assisted by Elias Pettersson and Alex Adler. Uh, this was a power play goal. Pettersson here, is, he's a really good player, and he made a really sick pass to Bo Horvat. Nothing wrong with this goal in theory. If, you, if your team was humming along nicely and you got beat by this goal, you'd think, damn, that's two really good players Playing well on the power play. Mm-hmm. Damn, it happens. Hot damn. But you know what else happens? Friggin' Adam Gaudet breakaways. That's what. <laughs> Gaudet took the puck away from Bo, um, from Bo Horvat, from Tyler Bozak. See, there was a bow in there. <laughs> he, there was some chaos in front as he sort of jammed away at it, and it was a goal. It was 30 seconds later. Allen bitched about goalie interference. I don't have a clue why. They challenged for goalie interference. I don't have a clue why. They didn't get an overturn for goalie interference. I have every reason why. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, and some people pointed out on Twitter, and I guess they're right, that it's like, well, it's effectively a timeout, but you get to tell Allen you're supporting him. Whatever. I don't yeah. want Jake <laughs> Allen to be supported. If you're a Jake Allen lover, I apologize for what's about to happen. I really do, because I will probably regret it tomorrow morning. But we got some shit to say. Um, Bozak on this play, he'd had a great first period. He gave the puck away, and there's a perfect shot of from the far end camera where you see him give the puck away, and then he looks at it, he slams his stick on the ice, and he skates lackadaisically to the bench. He doesn't chase the play at all. He doesn't try to make a play. It was embarrassing, and it's this whole friggin' team! Thoughts? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um... I think this goal, more than the first goal was the end of the game immediately. Oh, yeah. Because there was just, was it two Canucks? It's two Canucks that are just banging away now and, like, mm-hmm. untouched. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be a 2-0 finish. I said that to you. And basically it was. I mean, for all the friggin' difference it made. Yeah. I they Man, they came out looking real great in that first period. And then, what, the second period they got outshot, like, 13 shots to three. I think they only got three shots in the second period. I don't know. It was 0-0, was it not? It was 0-0. In the first? Or in the first or the second? Huh? It was 0-0 <laughs> going out, coming out of the first and into the second, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. How do you... How? How do you come into a period tied and just lay an egg? It's not like they even had the momentum going into the period, and it's not like they needed the momentum to get the lead from you because you were up a couple goals. It was tied 0-0, and they just thought, well, the Blues didn't do anything with their free time in the first period, so I guess we'll score now. We it was outsh- pathetic. We outshot them 15-5. to They outshot us 14-3, to which, by the way, is actually a better percentage. They dominated us more in the second <laughs> than we did them in the first. And then we had 12, tens to their shot, 12 shots to their 10 after it was all over. But the real upper crust on this shit sandwich. (laughs) You know, the upper crust. (laughs) 
the real heel of the loaf that mom put in your lunch <laughs> on a Friday, no less. I know it's Thursday, but for the analogy's sake. <laughs> they put the friggin' heel of the sandwich loaf, which they know you won't eat. Anyway, Josh Levo scores a goal off of Jake Allen's back because Jake Allen couldn't hug a post if his friggin' life depended on it. This could have been one of many different games we were talking about right now. This happens a lot. I know there is someone out there who's thinking to themselves... Maybe they're not listening to this podcast. I hope they aren't, because I'm sorry in advance. I know there's someone out there who's thinking to themselves, fluky goal, great trick shot by by Levo. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And to that person, I say, you're going to save it. <laughs> you're going to hug the post, and you're not going to let him take the shot, and you're going to save it. Uh, I have never... And I've talked a lot of crap about Jake Allen. I stood up and walked out of the room. Did I not? You did. I stood up, I walked out of the room, and I started doing laundry. Because I was, I just couldn't. I had no words. I had no words, and I didn't want to process my emotions. <laughs> you Be- ran away. I did. Later in the game, Pang would say the big goal was the 3-0 goal, and Jake would be the first to say that, as if it was some sort of a defense. It doesn't fucking matter if he's the first to say that. He needs to fix it. (laughs) He needs to stop letting those pucks go in. And I I think we try really hard on this podcast to be diplomatic about Jake Allen. We, I, in other points in this episode, we try to be diplomatic about Jake Allen. It's not there. There's no there there. There's just not an NHL goaltender there. I'm sorry. It just there isn't. I was wondering that the other day, and uh, I, you can get back and forth on Twitter about stuff because people are like, oh, there's Jake Allen haters and Jake Allen defenders. But, man, people are tripping over themselves to defend this guy. And I always think, if you have to do this so much, and it's before anyone says anything about him, too. Mm -hmm. If you have to do it this much, he's not a good goalie. People aren't tripping over themselves to be like, you know, Carey Price when I had this. I mean, that's a lofty comparison, but it's like, even just average goalies are like, well, you know, it's a great play, you know, what is he going to do about that? Sometimes, you shouldn't have to do that. He's below average. That's just that's that's it. I just it's I, out there. It's it, out there in the league. People know. People know those. If and and I again I with all due respect to the people who disagree with me, everyone knows. But you, if you think Jake Allen is fine, everyone disagrees with you. And I realize we're in a world where individuality and and unique opinions are encouraged. But I've always thought to myself in my own life. One of those guiding principles you talk about uh, <laughs> with the 31 Thoughts podcast is if if there's an issue where everyone disagrees with you, you're probably wrong. Mm-hmm. You're probably not smarter than everyone. And 
no anytime even coming into the season what did we see well this team's done everything you could possibly need to do to be a cup contender but i don't know about jake allen mm -hmm. that was the, that was the only take that was the only point of dissension and listen this season is not jake allen's fault Everything that's happened to this crap bag team is not on Jake Allen. But at the end of the day, if they fix everything else about this team and don't fix Jake Allen, they will still have a fatal flaw. And the fatal flaw will be Jake Allen. Mm. He's not good enough. My eye is twitching like crazy. <laughs> He's not good enough to be an NHL goaltender. And I liken it to every year. Every year there's a, a receiver, a wide receiver in the NFL draft, who has absurd straight-line speed. Tavon Austin, who the Rams drafted, was a great example. But he couldn't run a route, and he couldn't catch a damn ball. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not trying to be hard to Jake Allen, but he has all the athletic gifts. So athletic. He can't string it together for long enough. And I get that he's had incredible highs. But think about the fact that he hasn't caught up to Brian Elliott in Blues shutouts yet. Who Brian Elliott had 25 in five years. Jake Allen's played how many for this? How many seasons for this team? Eight or nine? And I think he got his 20th. Mm -hmm. There's a reason. Like he had as many opportunities as Elliott under the team when the team was good to get shutouts. He always lets in a clunker, even in his best games. The Edmonton 4-1 goal, the one goal he let in was an absolute clunker. We talked about it then, which I don't know if it's before or after this because I've <laughs> lost all track, but you'll find it. Listen to the whole episode. You'll hear us. It's... It, it, it just... Fuck, fuck it. Just give it to Bennington. I don't care. Like, just... Yeah. Just stop. Just stop. So, Tarasenko scored. Great. I really, seriously, he's two back-to-back -back goals. Awesome. Maybe he can string together a whole lot if he didn't get injured at the end of the game like it looked like he might. 11, it's his 11th of the season. He had an insane skate just around 11,000 people and behind the goal and back in front. And, and it shows you all the physical tools he has to be an elite goal scorer if he can string it together. Mm. It's kind of like Allen in some ways. He just has to find the consistency. I just have a lot more hope with Tarasenko. There's a play after this where Robert Thomas made a sick friggin' influenza-level deke on somebody <laughs> and then lost the handle. But he managed to gain back the handle and still make a pretty sick pass over to Tyler Bozak, who couldn't friggin' find water if he fell out of a friggin' boat. I was <laughs> trying to make it more interesting, but I didn't have it. So I was trying to think, like, fell out of an iceberg onto water. Anyway. Um... <laughs> You got it. He couldn't hit a wide open net. Markstrom was down and out. <laughs> Darren Pank says something like, oh no! It's like literally exasperated. Like, <gasps> like a fairy tale, oh no. Like, oh, oh no! What are we going to do? <laughs> With this fucking team. Uh, Tyler Bozak had a very interesting first period. It was all over the place. Canucks couldn't stop him. And the rest of the game, he looked like dog shit. <laughs> As long as we're talking about people that look like dog shit, Vince Dunn in this game. Oh, I, 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 I. 
Hey. You look as small as we are, Vince. Uh, that dude plays up to the level of this team, but he sure as hell plays down to the level mm. of this team, too. Uh, shotgun Jake Vertanen scored a goal, his 11th. Alex Adler got his 11th assist. Yeah, took a deflection, but jeez! <laughs> And then Louis Erickson, just to top off this shit sandwich, Louis Erickson gets an empty net goal with three, four and a half minutes left. Listen, Craig, Chief, can I call you Chief since we're friends? Even though I'm not entirely comfortable that that's still not kind of racist. The whole pulling the goalie with five minutes left, it was cute the first time. And I get it. The analytics support it. They say you should pull the goalie at 15 minutes if you're down (laughs) by three. It doesn't fucking work for this team, man. Stop it. (laughs) We were down four to one. In what world did you think this team was coming back? I like to think of it as symbolically as a little white flag. Or it's like, ah, we all knew it was over, but now I'm going to say it's over because it's over, over. Maybe. I just... (sighs) That's me having fun. It's just such a perfect microcosm of exactly how lost this team is. To me, that just reeks of the desperation that defines this entire team. It is kind of weird. I always think, like, why bother trying to win? It's not like when you keep winning, anything's going to happen. So might as well just lose. Exactly. I mean, like, we're joking, but we're not really, you know? like Wins do nothing for me at this point. I'm being, like, honestly, seriously. Like, when I'm at when I'm at the games live with my dad or whatever, I want him to win because it's just fun. Like, I get involved in it. Like, yeah, I want this win. But when I'm at home, man, I tell you what, I do kind of want him to lose. Like, there's... The more they lose, the more likely it is that I'm ro- crazy crap happens. I'm rooting for chaos at yeah. this point, because there's no joy in, in winning. There's no pretending. This Yeah, this season's really removed, helped like remove my feelings from players. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I don't think I really got a connection on any of you freaks anymore. <laughs> like, we, we can talk about that for a minute, because I think it's important, and we touch on Tarasenko rumors later. But also earlier, because time is not linear, it's circular, so screw all of you. <laughs> screw you, Einstein. Any of you non-circular time defenders out there, we're sorry. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I love Vladimir Tarasenko. I don't care. I, I literally don't think I'd feel anything if he was traded right now. I know. Because he's part of this effing team, and it kind of breaks my heart. It does. And I know that there are people out there that would, and I I respect and and sympathize with them, but I don't care. The people who say trade this person or trade this person over my dead body, what about this team has earned your loyalty? Mm -hmm. They don't deserve for you to feel that way about them. It is like they haven't won Jack. I, it's, <laughs> like it doesn't it's matter. Ri- it's ridiculous to phrase frame it in this context at all, but it is sort of analogous to a, an abusive relationship, in the sense that it's like you don't have to keep coming back. Mm-hmm. They're screwing it up. It's all on them. You don't owe them anything, you know. Mm-hmm. And I and I get it. I, I uh, our friend. 14th and Clark sent out a great tweet before this game. I'll try to find it. We all love this team, right? I mean, we all do. Mm-hmm. 
We all want to see them win a cup. He said, hockey is a game. It's meant to be fun. Being a fan should be the purest expression of that. Let's go, Blues. And I'm totally on board. But there is no fun in this team. Yeah, this team's just a nightmare to watch. Just an absolute nightmare. There's not there's not half the team doing well and half doing bad. I mean, we just got to, like call some of the bad ones out. It's just like everyone looks like crap. I mean, you got Ryan O'Reilly, and you got, you know, Robert Thomas looks like he's getting a foothold in this league. But, man, everyone just looks so out of sync that I don't know where the fun is. And when the fun does happen, it doesn't feel like it's on purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it totally feels when we get goals. It's like, well, that, I guess, you know, a goal's gonna, a puck's going to go in the opposing net every once in a while. It doesn't feel earned to me. And I'm not trying to sound all high and yeah, mighty, when, but it really just doesn't t- feel like we're putting anything together when we score. It just When that Tarasenko goal happened, first of all, it was a total individual effort, so mm-hmm. it wasn't like a cool team goal. And I had to go back to even realize it, because I didn't care. I was so beaten down at that point that I wasn't even noticing it happening. I wasn't like, ooh, this is a cool play developing, I wonder if he can, and then he did. Mm-hmm. I just felt nothing. Just and like even that. watching it back, I was like, that's a cool goal by that guy who will be a Carolina Hurricane in a month, you know, or whatever. I mean, (laughs) not to be too glib, but, like, I just, I don't feel anything for this team. It's really, like, depressing, Mm -hmm. like, seriously, to think about it, because we care so much. I mean, we started a podcast, and I'm not... And we killed the team. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not patting ourselves on the back. Any jamokes like us can start a podcast, but I'm just saying, like, we care a lot about this team, and we just don't have the... I mean, we're going to keep doing it because it's a fun train wreck, but, like, I don't know what to say. I was angrier even before we started recording, and now (laughs) I'm just kind of like, eh. I think a good idea, actually, for maybe the next time we record one of those is I'd love to... Episode 69. Nice. nice. <laughs> either, either if you're listening to us, you can respond to us, or maybe we'll throw something on Twitter. But like, I just want to know what keeps you as a fan like going this season. Like, honestly. And it can be something as simple as, well, like, Tarasenko's a fun player to watch. That's cool. But like, I really want to know because I... I don't know what it is. I honestly can't explain it. I guess maybe it's the podcast, but like I sit down and I watch the games, but when I'm watching them, I'm like, Jesus. I'm not paying any attention. Yeah, I'm doing other stuff, and it's just like, I don't even know what is making me turn the game on. I'm, at, at commercials, I'll rewind the DVR to like catch a goal and take notes or whatever for the podcast, and there's like no part of me that's like, oh, I'll go back and they'll have done something. The yeah. only the only concern is like oh I'll go back and the other team will have scored yeah like again. now I gotta go watch some more goals <clears throat> I mean there's and and it's just have we had a competitive loss this entire season that's a good point I seriously wonder like I mean we've had a couple in overtime yeah so we, they must have been somewhat competitive but like it's either win and sometimes it's win big mm-hmm. or it's just get obliterated it they look so lost and there's no fun in it because like when your team is crap when you're the who's actually supposed to be when you're the senators mm-hmm. there you go you freaking know your team's garbage but you can rally around Thomas Shabbat because you're like oh this is the first glimpse of the good that's coming from the future yeah 
Hot Sam Batcho. <laughs> and you can, you know, when your plucky little team that could pulls out a win despite a 38-year-old goaltender and a rest of the roster that has an average age of 15... <laughs> That's great. That feels good. I mean, yeah. and and with them, they don't even have a pick to worry about. So they don't have to be like, well, but you're costing yourself Jack Hughes, you know? So that's kind of like, I mean, you, you'd hate not having the pick, but overall that team's like, no holes barred. Do it. Do whatever. Mm-hmm. But with this team, it's like you see the players there. You're like, I know every single one of you is better than this. It really, I, I don't have children. But it really must be the equivalent of the I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. I mean, I am mad. <laughs> but so are moms when they say that shit. So That's true. But, like, it really just must be like, I know you're better than this. What are you doing to me? And it's like that same sort of, like, you are embarrassing. You're carrying our name out into the public, and you're embarrassing us. Yeah, I've never felt more, like, just a blues fan ever, where I'm like, I'm a fan of the St. Louis Blues but not the people that, like, inhabit those jerseys. It's, it's really depressing. <laughs> I can't even really get excited about Robert Thomas. Like, there's really... Mm-hmm. It's just... I, I am, like, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying trade him or anything, but, like, my spirit is broken. <laughs> and we've already, like, we're, we're... We talked about it a couple episodes ago, but we're already on path for the nightmare scenario of doing just enough to cost ourselves a decent pick mm-hmm. and not doing enough to mean anything. And so it's just a whole season of this crap, and unless Army pulls the trigger on one of these blockbusters, there's nothing to look forward to. This is why I liked that fight. Or unless Quinville comes here. Yeah. That's why I like that fight in practice, because like, ooh, this is boiling over, and then all those... Old veteran players like, oh, this happens all the time, no big deal. I'm like, no, I want it to be a big deal. I want something to happen with this goddamn team. Yeah. Whether it turns it around or not, something interesting. That's what's also annoying is they keep losing, and we didn't even look at any of their quotes. I'm sure it's just like, you know, Jake Allen would be the first one that wants to have that back, and everyone really needs to, you know, got to buckle down here. And hearing Pang, and I mean, they have to be try oh and be positive, God. but hearing them say, like, now the Blues are in some adversity, and now they got to work through it. I'm like, they've been in adversity since, like, September. I don't want to bury Darren Pang. I love Darren Pang. I've met Darren Pang. He's exactly as nice in person as he is on the broadcast. It's fucking painful to listen to I him know. right now. God. It's painful, and I get it. I get that it's his job to some extent, but at the same time, like, those reporters, the color and play-by-play yeah. guys for the Bruins or whatever, they wouldn't tolerate this shit. They'd bury this team. <laughs> what are you doing looking for positives on a 5-1 loss? What are you doing trying to friggin' say, preserve Jake Allen? Just don't say anything. <laughs> like, I don't, if I get you, I don't want you to bury him. That's not your place, but don't say anything. Because you have some friggin' journalistic integrity, and if you're trying to sell a bill of goods that this goalie <laughs> is just fine and it fell on some hard luck, nobody's buying it. He, he friggin' compared him to Dominic Hashik, and I oh, realize I it was a one off, but like, Come on! <laughs> just, <laughs> so bonkers. I get like I I really do love Peng, and it's kind of that thing of like anybody I criticize. It's like they're blues or they're blue affiliates, and I love them. But like, just don't 
have any compassion for anyone right now. It's just like, just stop it. <laughs> John Kelly at least just is silent and shit. You know, like Dar Darren does like 95% of the tire pumping. Yeah, that's and true. And JK is just kind of sitting there, you know, and like will occasionally say, well, former... Anaheim Duck or whatever yeah. it is he says, but like I would love to hear like Curbs and Chase now that Chase is gone. Like Curbs can still be a little bit, I don't know, callous, which is kind of nice every mm -hmm. once in a while. But I still feel like even this year, maybe now that they have Vitali in there, he's always like, oh, he's just trying to be kind of nice, and he's like, you know, we need. To, I think he's done a few things about fans need to be nicer. I'm like, man, I don't give a shit. I don't care. This team hasn't earned anything from me, really. They just haven't. Especially, like, because there was a big turnover or whatever. So now it's just the core with new people. And I'm like, well, the core fucking blows. So just blow it up. It's not, I think that's what we've both come to. Mm -hmm. I used to always want to kind of preserve it because there was something there. There was, like, there, we were good enough to make the playoffs all the time. We just need to add a few things around it. Maybe it would work out. I'm completely convinced this whole team's just a bunch of jokes now. Like, it's just nothing. And they'll go in somewhere else, and I don't care about that either, because people go, well, you know, that's my <coughs> least favorite defense. My least favorite. Well, you trade Tarasenko or whoever, they're going to go over and win a cup somewhere else, but fucking inevitable. I don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. I don't care. It, it's happened so many times now to other players from former Blues, but I'm numb to it. Who that's one of the craft? That's one of the reasons Carolina appeals to me as a trade partner, because you know they ain't friggin' winning a cup anytime <laughs> soon. But yeah, and, and like, listen, we talked at length about Doug Armstrong last week, and I'm still not really on the fire him bandwagon, but sometimes I look at the decisions he's made on the whole and thought, you did actually bring us to this place, Doug. Because, mm -hmm. like, it, it was him that traded. I, I, I hear interviews with players from this team, spitting chicklets. I went back, they did a series of interviews on guys on this team, Braden Shen and Luke Shen, which obviously isn't on the team, but they were together, and Edmondson did one and Maroon did one, and you, they talk about the players that have been a part of this locker room. Ryan Reeves, he traded him. Kevin Shattenkirk, he traded him. Uh, David Backus, he let him walk, and I, I get it. I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. But into that vacuum, he, he fairly unilaterally appointed Alex Petrangelo, which again felt like the right call at the time. You and I were totally behind it. Mm -hmm. He extended Alex Steen. It's like, whatever this soup is, he's the chef, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I heard somebody, I can't remember if it was Friedman or someone talked about him as like, he's more of a hands-off sort of GM where it's like he's not walking through every day and talking to the guys or whatever and it's like that's fine but you gotta start you gotta figure out what the hell's wrong with this team if he doesn't know he's gotta find out and he's gotta make moves to fix it because it's his ass you know yeah. and I and I again we talked about it last week I don't think there's an obvious better choice than Armstrong right now I really don't but I'll do anything I'll, I don't care. And we talked about it and then the coaching segment, which I guess is coming up after this. But, like, I want something fresh because at least a fresh thing will either work or just blow up magnificently. Mm -hmm. And blowing up magnificently is better than this. To me. I mean, yeah. to me it really is. I'd rather yeah, yeah. be going down in the plane than friggin' stuck in... Turbulence for the rest of my life. <laughs> I was like what? I couldn't think of the, the analogy. Being in the my seat, brain is mush. Right. 
than crackers. <sighs> Do we have anything else to say? No, I mean, what a what a roller coaster people will be on when they <laughs> listen to this podcast. This will be. It's perfect that we end this podcast with a discussion of Into the Spider-Verse, because this podcast occurs in multiple dimensions. It really really does. So, our sincerest apologies to you all now, as we throw it back to our future selves, who were so innocent. Mm -hmm. Our past selves, rather, who were so innocent. And just joked about how great this game would be. It's going to be a rocky transition. We promise you there's some good stuff after this. If you're still here, which you're not. <laughs> but Jake I, Allen haters, <laughs> turn it off. But seriously, folks, we're going to still have a lot of fun this year. Mm-hmm. You know? We still greatly enjoy this. Um, but it's rough right now. This was an awful game, and we both stayed up very late to watch it and mangled our recording schedule, and it's... It's rough. So, uh, also, because we didn't do it earlier really officially, and we do do it at the end, but some of you might not want spoilers, Merry Christmas to you all. (laughs) Let's throw that back in there. And without further ado, let's go back to the past. What a great game. (laughs) I think both teams tried really hard, and it was fun to watch. Certain players play the way they've always played forever. <laughs> and other players really surprise you. Yeah, I think, the plays that I they think made. some people would be surprised at what happened between the two teams wearing blue tonight. <laughs> it's going to be a disaster <laughs> just for us having done this. Um, let's move on to talking about coaching a little bit. Dave Hackstall was fired, the uh, Flyers coach who was obviously on his way out for a long time. But Steven, I think... I thought Hextall was already gone. He was, but they had two Hextalls. Stalls, stalls, stalls there. They shouldn't have been allowed to do no, that they in the first not. place. Uh, no wonder friggin' Ron Hextall wanted to hire Dave Hextall and refused to fire him. They're distant cousins. Uh, but anyway, I mean, nobody was surprised this move was coming, but the way it unfolded was a straight-up disaster. Mm-hmm. Some Phillies blogger, who apparently has a good reputation overall, broke the news on Saturday or Sunday. It was during it was during the Flames game. That's how crappy our afternoon was, so on Sunday. <laughs> uh, that not only were the Flyers preparing to fire Hackstall the following day on Monday, but they were going to follow it up with the announcement that Joel Quinn was the next head coach. Um, it quickly reports surfaced, including from St. Louis's own Andy Strickland, who, ballsy tweet, by the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get, go get your likes and retweets, Andy. All the power to you. But just straight up comes out and says, Joel Quinville texted me and said this isn't true. <laughs> so good for him. Uh, and yeah, as it turns out, they don't fire him on Sunday. They don't hire Quinville, and then they kind of awkwardly announce his firing on Monday morning. So it was a really crappy exit for Hackstall himself. Great job, Chuck. You blew the first <laughs> job you had. Yeah, as the that looks team. really good. Um, but yeah, so that leaves now the Oilers, Kings, Flyers, and Blues with active interim head coaching vacancy situations. Uh, I would say that the Kings certainly aren't probably going to keep going with whoever their coach is. 
what's the French guy's oh, name? Desjardins, Desjardins or whatever. Yeah. It is. yeah, you got it. The Flyers <laughs> called out their AHL coach in a very obvious sort of uh, interim role. Manchester United also fired their coach this week and signed a caretaker, so they may be in the running for Joel Quimble. <laughs> <God, laughs> trip overseas. <laughs> Holy fuck, what a shot that was. <laughs> Uh, man, I would actually I would pay to see that. Honestly, if he's not going to sign with the Blues, go coach Manchester Just United. Grabbing his the nuts there on the side <laughs> of the field. Oh, we got be, rally boobs. Delightful. Um, but in any case, uh, so yeah, Jr. Jeremy Rutherford wrote a great article on the Athletic this week, talking about how appealing the Blues coaching job might be, and the news is better than you might expect. He talked to a couple of recent and former NHL coaches, three of them, in fact to kind of get their opinions on this. Uh, just some of the highlights. They were high on Tarasenko and the roster. Uh, overall, one of them said, of course, having a guy like Tarasenko makes things inviting. Uh, one of them also said, for me, the forwards just aren't having a typical year. Look at who's injured there. I think there's a lot of good pieces there. Uh, they praised the defense, saying goals were going in and they weren't scoring goals. It's hard to stop the spiraling, but I think it's there. It just doesn't come together at the same time. But you've got the D to be a great defensive team. Um, and they even didn't like raise huge red flags about Jake Allen. One of them said, The foundation of a very good team is in place. Uh, from the outside looking in, a few tweaks could create an attractive team to come to, and you would not have to use the word rebuild. Uh, there was excitement about the prospects group as well. There was a little discussion about the locker room situation. One of them said, Yes, it's a concern. I've heard it, and it would have to be dealt with certainly before anyone takes over, but that's not a surprise. Um, they were excited by the fans, the ownership, specifically their spending to the cap, and even Armstrong got some props. One of the coaches said, having someone like Armstrong in charge is very appealing to me. Uh, one of them said, which just a big swing and a miss on this one, I want Chief uh, Baruby to get the job there. I've known him for a long time and I respect him a lot. It's a great opportunity for him and his staff. You've got Otter. He's a winner. You've got Rhino there. It, this has to be Coach Hitch Hitchcock. I feel like this just must be. I was like, what? Why would he call somebody Otter and Rhino? You've got Rhino there. He's an up-and-coming young guy, and you've got Larry Robinson overseeing it. I think it's a great opportunity for Chief and his staff to prove to Dougie that they can do that job. They know moving forward what intangibles they have to fix. I do not think it's Craig Berube's job to lose. Well... I think he's already lost it, yeah. but we'll discuss that further. Uh, and then I think the the couple of big, the one big quote I liked was, I think it's a desirable uh, job because of its history. The Blues have always been a competitive team and have a strong background of success. I think it's very much high on everyone's list. So overall, really encouraging, I thought. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely go read that at The Athletic. Get a subscription. If you don't cheap skates, it's worth it. Um... So, yeah, with that in mind, let's take a look at some of the coaches that might be interesting. Um, I know, I think it was Seahouse on Twitter that asked us to take a look. Um, and there is actually a mega thread on Reddit from a Flyers fan mm -hmm. uh, who just really did the job we were planning <laughs> to do for us and just gave just a ton of background on a bunch of different coaches, including Drew Bannister was on his list. Um, so yeah, we'll share that on Twitter. We're obviously going to dig into it somewhat, talking about 
the coaches that are available. Uh, I, I mean, I think to get it out of the way, Joel Quinville's an obvious number one for yeah. both of us flying away. That's true for every team in the league. No surprise there. I'm maintaining less than 1%, but more than 0% hope that maybe he's just wanted to hold out till after the holidays and we'll sign magically with the Blues then. It's very unlikely, although I did see some people speculate that he's waiting till after the holidays, but that could also just mean that he's waiting till after the holidays to sign with the Flyers or Oilers. He so. just wants to get through the Kwanzaa celebration. <laughs> his before. family Kwanzaa. He hasn't spent Kwanzaa with his family in so yeah, ever, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, other coaching candidates, I mean, you'd have to think the Blues would take a look at Drew Bannister. Mm-hmm. Not a great start with the San Jose, San Antonio Rampage, but that's kind of an expansion team, the way it's come together. Mm-hmm. And those don't always work like they did in, <laughs> um, in wherever, Vegas. Uh, he had a great coaching record in the OHL 136 and 50 with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. Uh, He did take over that team from kind of a crappy year, crappy lifetime, and kind of brought them to their highest heights ever. Uh, He took his team to the playoffs and every year there, including a trip to the finals. He's one of the best up-and-coming coaches right now, but likely needs some more time coaching at the AHL level before making the jump. Um, the other sort of just overall sort of yes-no criterion I have is for the Blues, I really don't want another NHL retread. It's Quinville or bust for me as far as that goes. Um, I'm not saying you can't have a guy with no AHL, mm-hmm. no NHL experiment experience, but I'm not interested in one of these guys like Dan Bilesma, um, Elaine Vigneault, Bruce Boudreaux when he gets fired at the end of the year. Uh, Carlisle when he gets fired at the end of the year. Um, who's the other one I'm forgetting? There's another big one. Oh, Tom McCollin. I just like, I think the appeal of those guys and one of the reasons the NHL coaching carousel is so often so small is that with guys like that, you know what you're getting. Yeah. But I likened it to you earlier as kind of like, the let's make a deal game where Wayne Brady's offering you 500 bucks. It's like, you know what you're getting and it's nice. You could have a really nice dinner or like a weekend trip for that money. But like you could also unveil the door and get an Audi or something really Mm. cool. Like you could get the whammy and that's going to happen in coaching. But to me, I just don't think this team is at a point. I think this team needs magic more than it needs steadiness. I don't, I don't think it's that desperate, but I just I think, like, Vigneault, like, he's going to have the same problems that Yo had and that Hitchcock had before him, you know? Mm-hmm. They need a younger guy to communicate with this roster, uh, and who knows, if you can't get the real Joel Quinville, you could maybe find the next one and then fire him and let him be successful <laughs> yeah. with the Blackhawks. Um, who else on this list stands out to you? I was actually a little drawn to Dallas Eakins, who I believe is in the AHL as the head coach for the goals, the Same AHL team for goals, yeah yes. for the Ducks. Um, I think he got a bad rap with the Oilers. I mean, was he th- he was there for maybe two years? He uh, was was he the head coach there? Yeah, he was the head coach there. Oh yeah, he was there thirty six, sixty three, and fourteen. He had he had a really good coaching career with a junior team and was up and coming. Coached a little bit of the Oilers, the awful Oilers, and they instantly obviously fired him because they're not going to trade their whole team away. 
I still think he has some promise. I'd be interested. I think he fits your criteria, even though he's coached in the NHL before. I think he fits your criteria of being a young guy that can connect with players Mm -hmm. and hasn't really worn out his welcome yet. There's also from Europe, I believe you touched on this earlier in another podcast, there's Ricard Gronberg. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's exactly it. Uh, They had a little blurb in this Flyers subreddit um, post about Gronberg, and they said that He'd be the first European coach to make the jump to the NHL since 2001. And it is said that Gromberg thinks every NHL team runs essentially the same system, and he would like to shake that up. That's kind of like if you play Overwatch, like everybody runs goats, but he's in there going, we're going to run pirate ship instead, you jabronis. <laughs> That's right. We got someone on the payload. We got the fucking turret guy. I'm not going to name names because I'll sound like a dork. More so than yeah. I already do. <laughs> you didn't cross that bridge yet. You gotta I, watch out. Yeah. So uh, I, he'd be interesting. I think it, that's definitely someone that's going to have a whole different outlook on how he wants to coach, and it's it's going to be sink or swim with that guy. He's either going to be amazing wherever he goes, mm-hmm. depending on the roster and his and his strategy as well, or it's just going to be a complete shit show, which could be interesting for this team. I mean, you didn't think you'd go any further down than we are now, but it'd be interesting to try. We haven't hit bedrock yet. He's also got a righteous beard. Oh, yeah. It's very. It's it's a very, um, I don't know what you call it, European beard. I mean, he's in Europe, so it's a big beard, but it's it's... It's gorgeous. Taken care of. It's It's, not like some, you know... It's not an American hipster beard. Yeah, I'm trying to say it's not, yeah. I'm not going to say... It's not a Joe Thornton beard. Yeah, I'm not going to say what I'm going to say, but we all know know what those beards look like. (laughs) Moving on. Uh, Another name I think we're both interested in is Sheldon Keefe, who's Mm -hmm. currently the head coach of the Toronto Marlies, is obviously sort of blocked out from the top role there by uh, the effervescent and eternal Mike Babcock. Um... (laughs) Keith is really one of the hot up-and-coming um, young coaches in, as we've said, a couple of other of these guys uh, in the AHL. Uh, he took the Marlies to the Calder Cup last time, mm-hmm. or the Calder Trophy, which are Calder Cup. Um, and he's kind of rising through the coaching ranks. Uh, he had a championship in the OA, in the CGJHL and was actually, excuse me, the coach of the Greyhounds before um, Drew Bannister. So it was Keefe who pulled them out of total obscurity, mm. and then Drew Bannister took them even higher than that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Keefe, to me, is probably the one I'd most want after Quinville, being the limited level of expert that I am. Mm. Um, the next option he lists is Mike Keenan. We could always go back down that oh, road. God. No. No. I mean, the answer's just no. Um, Tom McClellan, I know you don't want that guy mm-hmm. behind the bench, and I can't say I'd be necessarily thrilled if we hired him, Something in my bones says Tom McClellan is going to be the Blues coach next year. In my no, bones, so I can true. feel it deep. Because you just, well, you would think. You kind of know what you're getting with Tom McClellan. Like you mentioned before, that's why there's a lot of retreads. I used to think it was going to be Elaine Vigneault. I don't think so anymore. I think that guy's got L.A. written all over him or something like that. But no, I can see Todd, I can see Todd McClellan sitting next to Doug Armstrong. Doug Armstrong hacking up some sort of line like Todd was always our guy, but he was always busy, you know, coaching other teams. And now we got him. Mm-hmm. The thing to keep in mind is that this is most likely. I mean, it might not be, 
but most likely is going to be Doug Armstrong's last coach here. So he's going to play it very safe. Yeah. I, re- I mean, really, you should just go out swinging. You should just go out swinging because mm-hmm. it's your last coach. Why not? But also, he wants to hold on to his job as long as he can, so I get that, too. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I see, I see, I feel that same fear. Um, I think another guy that's worth discussing, although I don't know how likely a reunion is, is as far as guys that didn't get a fair shake in the NHL but didn't get it longer ago. I really like Kirk Muller. Uh, obviously a Blues assistant for a while under Hitchcock, ran the offense and ran the power play when it was really good here. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be mo- pretty interested in Muller if he was interested in us, but I kind of feel like he got the uh, old rusty shaft as he exited <laughs> the place here and yeah. didn't feel like he had a, a very good road forward, so whether he'd be interested in coming back to serve under Armstrong is a little uncertain. Uh, Adam Oates might be interesting, given his history with the team, but that would also be a pretty big risk because he's kind of a controversial figure in the NHL mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, any other names on here that you'd... I mean, we can go into this. Uh, obviously, we'll send out the list. He lists Lindy Ruff. He has 70-plus names mm-hmm. on there. Brad Shaw, I'd be, another reunion that I'd be, I'd be super sort of interested, interested in. in that, but I, like you said, I don't think he's coming mm-hmm. back. Yeah, and then um, John Stevens, the erstwhile Kings coach. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, it really is Quinville or Buss. That's the simple answer. If you can get Quinville, it's a very easy decision. If you can't, it's a much harder <laughs> decision. So I don't know what else to say. I mean, we can dig into this list. I think it's better to just sort of throw the list out there for public consumption mm-hmm. and then if anybody wants to ask questions about it or has specific names they'd like us to discuss next year, next week or whenever we get back together, we'd be happy to. But overall, to me, it's like it's a... It's one of those situations where it's a one-horse race, and then it's an open field. You know, yeah. like like if Secretariat had gone down in one of his races, you who know, knows? and then like who knows what would have happened. Well, yeah, Secretariat would have been glue, <laughs> <laughs> but Thanks. the rest of them would have been just fine. And on that happy note, oh. why don't we? Oh, you have something. Oh, else to even say? something even okay. Okay. So, I think this is all. This is like a. In in the no rumor, like a pretty wide spoken about rumor, but obviously never confirmed. But it's a good thing for Joel Quinville. So we have locker room issues, and I'm hoping Joel Quinville can do something about that uh-huh. as a presence. They could do something about that, and a something that points in the right direction for that is there has always been a rumor that there was something going on between Duncan Keith and Patrick Sharp and their wives at some point. Mm-hmm. In this, in the no, I'm intimately familiar. Yeah, with you're like, oh, I've read up on this <laughs> during during these cup runs, and they still won cups. So look, if that can go on in your locker room, and you can still be a cup contender, God knows Joel Pimble's gonna be able to solve any sort of little spat that's in this locker room. Mm-hmm. I would think and hope, and it's all alleged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So why don't we take a break on that note to go watch a hockey game, mm-hmm. or would you rather finish the rest of this stuff? And what else watch. we got? 
Oh, we, we got do some have trade rumors and some possible movie talk if we want to do that. Let's pause. Okay. But you at home don't have to. Keep listening. Stay tuned. <laughs> Nobody knows that we'll be pausing anyway. It'll be such a smooth transition. <laughs> Just like this. <laughs> oh, great transition. So we're going to pause now, as everyone expects. And we'll talk to you soon. And we're back temporarily during intermission, the first intermission. I thought it was very weird when the spaceship flew onto the ice <laughs> and demanded to speak with our leader, and we showed them to Oscar Sunquist, and they somehow thought that was true. Mm-hmm. Um, you said you kind of look like us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's dig into some of the rumors around the team right now. Um, Vladimir Tarasenko is still in the trade mo- rumor mill. Nick Kiprios appeared on Sportsnet this week talking about it. He said, this is a longer quote, but I'm going to read it all. Uh, well, again, they had a good win the other day, but the Blues continue to be a team that a lot of teams are watching. We know that Doug Armstrong wants to be eventually wants to eventually change the makeup of this dressing room. Tarasenko is an interesting topic of discussion. Now, he has a no-trade clause that kicks in July 1st, so there's a lot of teams interested to see what direction they want to go. Uh, it's been described to me about Tarasenko that he's not part of a solution, but he's not the problem. So in saying that, the goal scoring's at a premium. A team like Carolina that had Nylander on the watch list up until he signed with Toronto still remains in the hunt for a goal scorer. At $7.5 million, guys, it's a lot of money, but it's not 8.5 or $9 million. He's got four more years left on that contract. It would take a significant trade, but a lot of teams view him as a Phil Kessel type of guy that could come in and be a great support cast. Uh, Bruce Garyoch, 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 Gary Oak of the Pokemon <laughs> franchise mm-hmm. um, of the Ottawa Sun said, uh, yes, Doug Armstrong's willing to discuss just about any name on the club's roster, but when push comes to shove, his demands for return aren't considered realistic. They've underachieved significantly, and you've got to have the ownership's backing when you attempt to change course the way they are, a league executive said Monday. With where they're at, they've got to sell. There is no way the Blues were looking to step back or rebuild this year. Not a chance. Your thoughts, Ian? I'm listening to all offers on all players for this team. I think we said this last podcast, too. Everyone's available in the sense that I will listen to any and all calls. They might not be realistic. What I would, what I as Armstrong would want back, I'd probably start asking pretty high for anybody, which makes sense. But especially for guys like Petrangelo or Tarasenko, you just can't have a Shattenkirk trade or an Oshi trade. You cannot. You have to have an extreme amount of value coming back because these players are still in their prime and still value today. It's not a matter of them not being good players. It's a matter of mm-hmm. them not fitting here. I do like the comparison to Phil Kessel. I think that's how I would spin Tarasenko if I'm trading him because I've said it before, Toot my own horn here, but like he is, he is Phil Kessel. You don't need, he doesn't need a center. He's just a guy that scores on his own. Mm-hmm. I mean, watch him play. He, I mean, he plays with the players on the ice, but he's definitely kind of his own man out there in terms of creating chances for himself. Mm-hmm. And you put him on the right team. I mean, he does it here, but you put him on a different team, he could probably do that even more and to a greater degree. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, I'd be willing to listen to to talks on Tarasenko, but like I said, you have to get an extreme amount of value back. I think it has to be like 
an easy, uh, obviously it could be win-win for both teams, but it has to be like an easy win looking at the trade for the Blues for me to take that trade. Yeah, and using Kessel as a springboard for um, discussion, you know, when the Maple Leafs acquired him originally, uh, they got two first-round picks, 2010 and 2011, that became um, Tyler Sagan and Dougie Hamilton. Obviously, you don't know that at the time, but that's mm-hmm. a pretty freaking good return. The first-round pick was second overall when it came through. Um, and then they got a second-round pick as well. I mean, I think uh, Armstrong will want more active pieces, whether they be roster or close prospects. I don't think he'll take only picks, but that's a reasonable package you're talking about in return. And then when he was traded from Toronto to Pittsburgh, uh, it cost the Penguins... Um, uh, well, let's see what actually. Uh, it cost them Kasperi Kapanen, who's now one of their top starter, uh, a conditional first and third round pick, and a couple of other prospects. And that was with the Maple Leafs eating a significant chunk uh, of the contract. So, I mean, this is a huge deal. And the reality is, you know, I get that at some point if he's going to be real about trading these guys, he's got to be real about the prices, and you can't keep saying, you know, I want Svechnikov and your next three first-rounders or whatever the hell he's saying. But on the flip side, I don't really buy the argument that it's like, well, this team has to sell because of the situation they're in, so the value on these guys isn't high. It's like, no, they have to sell, but they don't have to sell these guys. Mm-hmm. And these guys are only available at all because of the situation they're in. If they're even in contention right now, they're not talking about Tarasenko and Petrangelo. So the idea that the price should come down because of where they are in the standings is a little ludicrous to me because I'm, you're not ever getting this chance if we're not where we are in the standings. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking about some of the teams I've heard them possibly linked to. To me, and I can't remember what of this we said last week, so sorry if we're repeating some of it, but to me, the um, Hurricanes are a really good fit. Uh, Their owner is, I think, kind of batty. Uh, Mm -hmm. He had an extended series of quotes this week about how... um, he would only ever sell the team if he was if because they were losing. It wasn't a money thing. He just hated losing so much. And he said, defense can be bought in the NHL, which, oh boy, is he new here. <laughs> um, but he said, defense can be bought. And he said, ludicrously, which is a preposterous thing to, to pin yourself into, uh, he said, we'll never buy, a def- we'll never draft a defender in the first round as long as I'm here. Uh, and then he said he was looking for scoring, and he said he'd rather lose games 5-4 to four than 2-1, to one because at least if they lost it 5-4, to four, he'd have fun in the process. So I'm looking at them as a team, you know, maybe you're not going to fleece them. I obviously think it they wouldn't give up Andrei Svechnikov, although if they were willing to make him part of a package, I love you, Vladimir Tarasenko, but I'll drive him to the airport myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a team that I think makes sense because they have, you know, they were like the fourth or fifth rated farm system right behind us in Corey Promen's rankings. Uh, they have a second overall prospect named Martin Neckes or Neches, who's 
really highly rated potential center who's kind of on par with Thomas, which obviously you've got a lot of centers already, but you can never have too many, you know, and if you want to flip one of them, then you have the flexibility or whatever. Um, And then, uh, you know, you still get a high first round pick and some other stuff. Uh, You can maybe talk about Justin Falk who's a right-handed defenseman, has two years left on his deal. If you're intending to trade Petrangelo anyway, that gives you the flexibility to do it without having to take back a right-handed defenseman. So it's interesting, and I think the reality is Armstrong can't make a trade just to make a trade. He needs to identify what the problems are on this team and, and address the problems. And so... You know, whoever that is, you need to get good value in return form. You can't just trade Shin because it's like, well, he has a year and a half left and he's a good player. Mm-hmm. We can get some value for It's like, yeah, but that's not fixing your team. Just getting diff- another player here won't necessarily fix your team. You've got to address the core issues. So to me, it's it's got to be deeper. Uh, the NHL does have a trade freeze from now. It took a, took effect yesterday uh, until the 27th, which I believe is Thursday. Um, so we won't obviously see anything in the near future. But after that, it's not... You know, the trade deadline will be here before we know it after that point. So, you know, I would I, I expect the Blues to do a lot. If they don't do a lot, I'm going to be pretty disappointed because nothing about what we've seen this year is acceptable uh, overall, I would mm-hmm. say. Do you have any more thoughts on that? No, I, I think before – this is an, an easy statement to make. I think before the draft this summer we'll see – a core piece move of like Steen or Petrangelo or Tarasenko. Like I one hope of those we three. see two or three. I'd be yeah. Just friggin' gut it. Just do. Oh it. yeah. I mean, in my in my crazy, I think rational but probably irrational mind. I, most of this team has to be gone before this team wins a cup. Before the Blues hoist the cup, eighty percent of this rosters is going to be gone and maybe that's just because of time and i'm just saying oh in 10 years the blues will win the cup so obviously guys are just going to be gone from there gonna be older retire get traded but i really do believe that this roster as constructed even though on paper they look great it's just going to be a whole different group of names that's like helping this team win maybe Mm -hmm. you got a robert thomas and a few other guys still in there but i really think you have a different captain the whole like everything's gonna be different so yeah. might as well just get the ball rolling. I tend to agree, although I hate to say it. Um, do you want to talk about the movie? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was such vivid. Sorry, I, just, I was like, what hockey movie? Do we have more hockey talk to talk about? No, I'm over it. Okay. So Ian and I saw Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse on Tuesday night during the Oilers game. If you have not seen that movie and want to see that movie... This is your chance See to ya. sign off. Um, Stop the podcast. Because we'll, we will discuss spoilers uh, just because we had fun. So I said spoiler, Ian said spoiler, the fans said spoilers, mm-hmm. Eugene Melnick said spoilers, and all our sponsors. So if you're still here, you can't get mad at us about spoilers. Mm-hmm. So can you believe when Hitler was the villain in this movie? See, that was a classic misdirect. Now let's actually start talking <laughs> about the movie. So what did you think of this? It has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, I loved it. What did you think? Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I came in with kind of high expectations, I guess, just after seeing all the reviews, and I think it met all of them, which is pretty rare. Normally, I like movies a lot, but I feel like I go into movies, if I see good reviews, setting my expectations way too high, maybe, mm -hmm. or something to the point where I'll come out of really good movies and still be slightly disappointed, because I'm like, well, it wasn't quite like this. But I think this one met all of them. It looked amazing. Uh, the music kind of surprised me with how much I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. it was, I mean, there's there's a real art to this movie. There's a real feel to this movie. I really love movies that set a tone, that set that build a world that you can kind of believe in and mm -hmm. kind of like take you through it without having to like explain everything to you and stuff. Basically build a really believable setting. And yeah. I felt like it did that amazingly well. Like it's not the same Marvel universe you get from the comics. I believe that's Earth 616 for all us nerds out there. <laughs> but this is some other one, so you get some villains in there that are different looking than you're you're used to seeing. And I, it's, it was a blast. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think, I mean, to me, they made the decision to do it animation. Mm -hmm. The execution of the movie couldn't have worked the way, I mean, they would have had to not tell a different story, but do it a different way to not make it animation. But that was a bold decision, I think. That kind of caught people off guard from the beginning. Um, overall, though, I think that's still, like, my fear was that it'd feel like a cartoon movie, you mm -hmm. know? And, um, you know, I mean, the, just the way some of those other cartoon, like, even, I haven't seen all of it, but, like, some of the Batman movies that are really popular but are animated, it's mm -hmm. like, they just still don't feel like a feature film. This still really felt like a feature film mm -hmm. to me. Um, the animation, I like, I barely remembered that it was animated. Like, as you're watching it, they obviously are, but you're not thinking about, like, these are cartoon people, you know? Mm. Um, and as you said, I mean, I thought the soundtrack was amazing and really well integrated into it. Um, there were some fun moments, there were some light moments, there were some pump-you-up moments, yeah. there were some, it's some really good dramatic humor. moments. Yeah, and then, I, th I mean, I think the voice cast was awesome. Um, I don't know a ton about Shamik Moore, who played Miles Morales, uh, but Jake Johnson, who you know is most famous, I would say, is Nick from New Girl, is the main Peter Parker in mm -hmm. the movie, and I thought he was great, and I didn't know what to expect because I love New Girl, and obviously it was kind of a comedic version of yeah. Peter Parker, but it wasn't exclusively so, and I thought he did really well in that role. Yeah, in those trailers, when I heard his voice, I always think, well, like I like the actor, but I don't know if he fits mm -hmm. Peter Parker. But the Peter Parker they have him as in this movie, he fits really well. Yeah. I like that they named kind of him. that older, like sort of yeah. down on his luck Peter. I like Parker. that his middle name. Maybe there's some comic book people that can tell me that there he's exists in the comics as this Peter Parker somewhere. But I like that his name was like Peter B. Parker, mm -hmm. like he's literally like the B character yeah, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think I mean I love Mahershala Ali who plays his uncle in this, mm -hmm. and also the Prowler. There's a spoiler for you. Um, <laughs> you but, shouldn't have come this far. <laughs> we warned you. Um, but yeah, I mean 
I love him as an actor. He's friggin' amazing. He was great in Luke Cage. Um, he's. I'm kind of surprised he was even in this movie as mm-hmm. like a, a smaller part, you know. But obviously, it's a really critical part in the telling of the story. But it's not like a big yeah, screen yeah. time role. Uh, Haley Steinfeld was great as Gwen Stacy. I feel like this was a, a a movie where the voice actors were chosen for me. I mean, we're obviously both John Mulaney fans mm-hmm. and. Half of the reason we wanted to see this <laughs> yeah. was him as Spider Pig. We're huge John Mulaney fans. Spider Ham, and he was great. Oh, yeah. I thought, I mean, like, great. he was obviously comic relief, but the couple of, like, more dramatic notes he had to hit, he did a really yeah. good job in. And for a guy that is, like, basically a stand up comedian and writer, that's pretty impressive. Nicholas Cage was awesome, mm-hmm. I thought. All their old timey phrases they yeah. made him say, like, slobber knocker uh-huh. and stuff like that were great. He was the Spider Man. Noir, the black and white one. And then kind of the surprise to me was uh, Catherine Hahn was playing this version's take on Doc Ock. Mm-hmm. And I thought she did really well. Yeah. She did kind of an evil, but like playfully evil sort of yeah, character. Yeah, she's kind of like an evil, I kept thinking like evil mom. I was very like, yeah. hey there Spider-Man, I'm gonna come get you. Yeah, that's, sort a, of weird that's thing. a really good like, way huh? to say it. And I didn't realize it until we were home, but Kingpin was played by Lee Shriver. Yeah. And I didn't know that because he played such a like thick, like New York mafia type accent. accent. And Even when I hear his voice normally in things, like, actually, fun, whatever, uh, hockey connection, he's, like, really big into hockey. Mm-hmm. And uh, he does a lot of, uh, I think, all the outdoor games when they le- when they were doing all the lead-ups to it. I don't know if he still does it, the, what are the 24 or 7? Uh-huh. He would do all the narrating for it. Oh, really? But it never... S- I swear when I look at him and he speaks, I'm like, that's Lee Schreiber. And then when I just hear his voice <laughs> yeah. alone, I'm like, who is that? And uh-huh. even though you tell me that's him, I don't believe it. So I think he does a really good job as a voice actor, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Who was OG Spider-Man? Chris Pine? Chris Pine, yeah. Who I couldn't recognize for the life of me. I'm going to rewatch it just for that. Yeah, and he was good in his limited-ish mm-hmm. role. Um, Oscar Isaac has a fun... Oh, that's so good. You gotta stay for the ending. Yeah, it's not like it's not as momentous as other post credit yeah. scenes, but it's more fun. That's super funny. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think it was a lot to pull together. They didn't mm-hmm. give you a lot of the like origin story, which I liked because it's like we all know, like anyone well, who's did, at this movie knows, and the, so they kind of had did fun like fun takes it. on everyone's yeah. little origin, and that was I think one of the best like running parts of the movie, and you just felt like. You know, you were really getting to see these characters all kind of mature, and they all felt like characters you really cared about, even though some of them had like a total of maybe mm. ten lines. Like the the um, Penny Parker character, yeah. the Spider Robot. I, you know, how much could she have talked at all? And then when the robot got shattered at the end, like you really felt that. That's still. what was interesting. I felt like they cut something out for her just because it felt like they kind of paid a lot more attention to her right at the end when her mm-hmm. like robot dad spider Friend, was killed. I guess. Didn't they? It was something about she got bit by a radioactive spider. That was I think the bit. robot got bit by the... I oh, I thought possibly. she did, and then she had some weird mental connection with it, and Maybe it helps her pilot it, yeah. the robot. That could be it, yeah. Which I believe is like an acronym. It's like S-P-Y-D-E-R, like spider, uh, and I was okay. like, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I, yeah, they were. I thought all their little side characters were really neat. And, man, some of you were right. I really felt for a lot of these guys, even that last little battle between... 
uh, Miles and Kingpin, where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, Miles going to win, like, of course. But, I mean, that's probably as close as I've felt in a long time where it's like, oh, like, I know he won't lose, a thousand percent. But they're making me get real close to thinking, well, because, I don't know, I think it's just because Kingpin killed the first Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I know he's not going to kill this one, but, like, he has the capability to just pound someone on the ground and kill him. Yeah. So I'm like, holy crap, get out of there. And they designed him so big and hulking that I was like, wow. And he was, I think it helped, too, raise the stakes because he was getting all the help from all these other spider friends yeah. that when they were all gone it was just him and just kingpin i was like oh shit dude you haven't done like anything really yeah, like this could be sure. really scary that last scene was great and that was where the animation really paid off because mm-hmm. it was so colorful and like obviously you know if, if you're still listening you either saw the movie or don't care so <laughs> it was you know they were in a a basically particle accelerator kind of yeah. reactor space uh, that Fisk was trying to like mend or bring together multiple universes so he could bring back his lost loved ones basically from another timeline and so they're in that reaction basically and they use that as like a really just a a, a visually transfixing I guess kind mm-hmm. of battle through colors and different monuments and different not really going into the different like Verses or yeah. different parallel universes, but like kind of it's like having them come gym. into this yeah. world, and it was really cool. I mean, it was a little unbelievable because you'd be like, okay, both of these people would be dead if they were in this <laughs> reaction for that yeah. long. But I think that's where the cartoon parts yeah. help lens itself. And I think the you know having the dad just kind of there watching was maybe a stretch from that respect. But um, I did wonder why he was like. He was at this weird party, and then he was the only one that made it down into this yeah. random particle. That was a little. That was like the the only place that I was kind of like, I don't know, guys. Maybe that was a bad. They call. played his line completely straight when he's like, "I'm gonna need backup." It wasn't even really a joke, and yeah. I, was, I almost laughed at it unintentionally. Like, yeah, dude, there's like a weird particle thing <laughs> happening in front of you. And then the backup never came. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it paid off. I'm interested to see if it's you know, just going to be a one-off. It probably won't be at this I, point. I think I read they already green, greenlit a sequel and supposedly a Spider-Gwen spinoff. Oh, nice. Um, I hope those go well. I, yeah. I assume they will, but um, I think it was ballsy. I mean, obviously this is more Sony than Marvel, but it doesn't feel as disjunct from the rest of the MCU as other things have, Mm -hmm. I think. Oh, I was super happy that... I know it was a Sony picture, Mm -hmm. and it's Marvel-produced, but it's their own thing. But yeah, I was super happy that they weren't doing, like, what's your world's Captain America like? Well, our Thor is like this. Like, no, 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 no. They already had enough spider people. They don't... I'm sure, because I'm not that big of a comic book dork, but, like, and it was a fast-moving movie... I'm sure there's a billion Easter eggs for all these other heroes way and back. But I didn't. no one mentioned anything. No one obviously showed you anything. Uh-huh. I really liked that this was like a self-contained, what if, you know, maybe not what if, but Spider-Man's the only person we're dealing with mm. in this story. We're not doing a bunch of other people. Yeah, the one nice little Easter egg I caught besides the Stan Lee cameo 
which was obviously especially touching, was uh, he's scrolling through his phone at one point, mm -hmm. and one of the names he kind of hovers over is B. Bendis, who's the creator of Miles Morales. Brian oh, okay. Bendis. They had a few like that. They had something where he was flipping through his phone, like contacts, mm -hmm. and they had Steve Ditko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was probably the same scene where yeah. they were all on there. But um, yeah, I, I think the only thing, I mean, the only thing I noticed, I kind of said it to you in the parking lot, was like, shout out to the Avengers title theme. Mm -hmm. I don't think that gets enough credit for how good of a score it is because, like, that was the thing I f viscerally felt the a the lack of in this movie. Because mm -hmm. to me, I mean, you can disagree, but to me, they were obviously trying to like mirror it a yeah. little bit at different points, but it never really had that big final swell that Avengers hits at all the really consequential points and yeah. the conclusions and everything. And and this movie, it wasn't like hurting for its absence, but I. You know, I really love those moments when the music swells, and the, I mean, obviously everybody does their very meaningful moments. But so I felt that absence a little bit. Uh, but overall, I loved the movie. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to say. Really. That sort of ending sequence when Miles is going to go help out the rest of the guys, like mm -hmm. he finally gets his little suit and spray paints it, which I thought was. At first, I was like, really? Just I wish he would have made his own suit sort of thing. But then I was like, you know, it really fits his character because he's kind of like a graffiti artist that mm -hmm. he like, kind of spray paints an old Spider-Man like, outfit yeah. and wears that. And I think in the end scenes, he has like a real one or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that whole scene where it's like him swinging over and he makes his you know, leap of faith thing, I think the music, too, there was like just, I don't know, it was very a very amped up moment. That was a well done, yeah. And this whole, this whole movie was... I really enjoyed, and if I could sum it up in like one feeling, was like a lot of movies that I like, even when I'm enjoying them in the theater and I'm enjoying them a lot, as they get towards the end, I'm kind of aware of time. I'm like, okay, we're getting towards the end of the movie, mm -hmm. and I don't necessarily get antsy, but I'm like, okay, like we'll just see what happens here, and mm -hmm. the movie ends. But this is one of the few where like I knew it was getting towards the end, and I really kind of didn't like that it was going to be over. Mm -hmm. I was kind of like, oh, it's going to be a bummer when this movie's done. Yeah, it was so good, and they did so much in such a little time. I think kind of kind of what we said when we did the Infinity War, um, obviously on a smaller scale, but when we talked about that, we made the point of like nothing really felt like they were just forcing anyone in for screen mm -hmm. time, and this isn't the same stakes, and obviously you're not seeing the actors physically but like i felt the same way like none of the characters really felt forced even mm -hmm. spider ham obviously was there for comic relief but he didn't feel like awkward at all in there. yeah they didn't shove him in enough where it's like okay we get it yeah so i think all in all it was just it was really well done i would strongly recommend it to anyone that's gotten mm. this far um that hasn't seen it i give it four and a half out of five spiders i give it Four and a half out of four and three quarters, web slingers. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that that'll do it. I guess I don't really have a lot else to say. Maybe we'll go and see Aquaman's or something else, and give or take on that. <laughs> yeah, stay tuned soon. for a review of Mary Poppins Returns. <laughs> Were you looking at Rotten Tomatoes too? Or I didn't that? care for when Mary came back with a machine gun. <laughs> I felt like that really did a disservice to her character. <laughs> Bumblebee's got a 94% damn, son. I, I think I'm going to see that Let's Bumblebee do movie. It. I mean, spoiler <laughs> alert, it's just young kid meets thing that's cute and a monster and government says kill it slash we need it slash study it. <laughs> and then it gets angry and people get scared, but then it loves at the end. <laughs> 
the best movie review of all time. <laughs> We've all seen it, but so, it's Transformers. Yeah, let us know if you enjoy us talking about these, and maybe we'll do it more often and see more movies. Two guys. One real podcast. <laughs> uh, but until next time, that's all we have for this week, except we still have more stuff to record after the game ends, but you don't know that. Time is all relative. Uh, which is, I guess, actually one of the great takeaways from this movie, so we tied it all back around. Do you have anything else to say? Mm-hmm. Time to walk out into the living room and see that the Canucks are up three to nothing. Whee! Have a good night, everyone, and Merry Christmas, which we'll awkwardly say in the Vancouver part because we didn't say it yet already. Good night. Good night. <laughs>